0: Mm. I've got my friend's DVD that I borrowed like six years ago, so I should probably watch that.
1: You should, and then you should give it back, Liz.
0: He's busy. (laughs) He hasn't got time to watch it.
1: Neither do you, apparently. (laughs) And I'm Ben McKenzie.
0: Welcome to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast.
1: Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest.
0: This month we're discussing Lords and Ladies, or if we apply Ogham's Razor, Keep the Elves Out of Wiltshire.
1: (laughs) And our guest is writer Nadia Bailey. Welcome, Nadia. Hi. How are you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you for having me. When did you start reading Pratchett? Well, I first became aware of Pratchett um, a little bit earlier than I actually started reading the books, um, because my best friend when I was in primary school, uh, I think it was either her older brother or maybe her dad. One of them was a big sci-fi slash fantasy nerd. So I would go over to her house and see all of the Pratchett books just lined up on this bookshelf. And these were the Josh Kirby editions. So they have pretty interesting spines. Mm. So I kind of like first became aware of them because the cover art was kind of Quite intriguing. I wouldn't necessarily say that I like it. <laughs>
1: this is a common theme on chat We're sorry. Look, if the Josh Kirby estate folks are listening, we're very friendly on Twitter and we do enjoy the covers. But I know we are quite critical.
0: Art is supposed to be polarizing and prompt conversation, and it does. It does. <laughs> it does. And it did
2: draw me in, if only because it is so kind of unique and almost ugly. Mm. I, I always think of it as very lumpy art. Yes. Mm. So anyway, that was how I first discovered Pratchett. Um, later, my dad went through a phase of just buying a whole bunch of books from op shops, just random boxes of books. Uh, and one of these boxes he bought actually had a whole bunch of Terry Pratchett books in it. That's
0: really lucky. I like, know. That's rare.
2: Yeah. Well, this was kind of – I think it must have been maybe the late 90s and it was a selection of books. There was definitely – men at arms in there. There was definitely God's guards, guards. I'm pretty sure there was the Hogfather. So me and my, two of my sisters and my brother all started reading them. And I think that's kind of quite amazing that because I would have been kind of like, what, late primary school at that stage, my brother and sisters are all older than me. So we were all reading them and all enjoying them, um, which I think really speaks to how versatile they are hmm.
1: Were you all readers at the time?
2: Very much so hmm. Yeah, very much so And I think Pratchett kind of clicked with us Because we had come from a very kind of hippie family And my mother was very prejudiced against anything from America Right uh, So we were allowed to watch, you know, Australian TV shows And British TV shows We weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons That was too crass. That was too American. But we'd been raised on books like The Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then kind of the very British humour as well. So grew up listening to The Goon Show, Hmm. to um, watching Monty Python, Blackadder, The Young Ones, that kind of thing. So Terry Pratchett is kind of like all of that combined. Hmm. Um, So I think me and my siblings just all really kind of got it immediately it was like a mix of that fantasy and humor and all of those kind of things
1: i'm feeling a very spiritual comedy connection (laughs) to to all of those things that you just said Mm -hmm. that's fantastic uh look we we should probably get straight into the book should we read the blurb it's quite a short one by contrast to some of the ones we've read recently (laughs) like a
0: novella worth of blurb
1: yeah the fairies are back but this time they don't just want your teeth Granny Weatherwax and her tiny coven are up against real elves. It's midsummer night. No time for dreaming. The full supporting cast of dwarves, wizards, trolls, morris dancers, and one orangutan. And lots of hey nonny nonny and blood all over the place. I love that last line. It's so good. (laughs) How Um, do
0: morris dancers feel about being lumped in? With like monsters.
1: <laughs> oh, look, if they're anything like the Morris dancers I know, they're all for it. Uh, they would think that was great. Wait, you know
0: Morris dancers? Yeah. We, haven't we discussed this before? Maybe my brain just keeps erasing this information. No, no I, know, I, I know. There's Morris Dancers in Melbourne and I know some of them. Yeah, for
2: sure. I was actually going to bring this up later. I too know a Morris Dancer. Should I know Morris Dancers? Does everyone get a
0: signed one? Like- <laughs> we can introduce you. <laughs> okay,
1: <laughs> we can make this happen. All
0: right. We'll, I guess we'll we'll get to Morris Dancers we in will. a bit.
1: But that's not where the book starts.
0: Actually, and I just want to
1: address, like the, there's only one mention of tooth fairies in the entire book, but they put it in the blurb. That's a bit weird. Just
0: because the imagery of like them coming for your teeth is so good, mm.
1: and I like the fact that the—I uh, mean—it also mentions fairies, and they—they they almost never call them fairies in the book either. It's mm. always elves, which is an interesting choice of word. But I think probably we'll get to that as we as we go through.
0: I mean, it's like a—it's a nod to *Midsummer Night's Dream*, though, isn't it? Because they call them fairies in in that. Is it, To yeah. sort of underscore that connection. Oh, they
1: get—they get called lots of things. Mm. They have—they go by many names. They do. <laughs> and they mostly come at night, mostly. Uh, all right. So, but that's, yeah, we start off, we start off in the, in the past kind of, I mean, after a little bit of a boring, flimby about...
0: bit, but then it gets interesting. Well, no, It's just... not boring. It's got jokes, but like, I always just, I'm always like, get to the stuff.
1: Yeah, but also this is the only – well, certainly the first one. I don't know if it's the only one, but it's the only one I remember that has that author's note. Does your copy have the mm, author's note? Mm. In the front, where he says, like, it helped, you, know, you don't usually need to read the other ones, but you kind of need to read – and I'm like, I don't think you do, really. Mm. You just need to know they're coming back from a trip away. Did you feel that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it obviously helps if you've read Witches Abroad and um, Weird Sisters, but you could probably come to it you know, without having that background, and still get something out of it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing that it really underscores is the letter that becomes a bigger yes. deal at the end. But mm. I mean, you could still get that mm. from context.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, but yeah, we don't start in the present. Uh, we start a little bit before. Well, not a little bit. How how
0: old? Fifty how long years. Goes, I Fifty think? years. Yeah.
1: yeah, it says. Yeah, which makes you know Granny Weatherwax in her sixties or seventies, really at least. Mm. Um, but yeah, we start with a young Esme Weatherwax, which is quite exciting. But they don't
0: tell us that they call her Esmeralda, and like we know, but yeah, but mm.
1: it's subtle. And it's she's like...
0: being pursued by by a, a suitor through the woods.
1: Mm. Yeah, who is also not identified. Yes, mm. but we do find out who he is later. Yes. Uh, oh, ridiculous. And there's that whole there's that whole idea about oh you want to run just fast enough that they chase you. But not so fast enough that you get which is look, that's that's nice and playful. I'm glad it doesn't go to the creepier versions of people following you around like you see in way too many episodes of Doctor Who written by Steve <laughs> Moffat, for example. <laughs> like the line, Yeah, he just followed me around until I agreed to marry him, it crops up in that show more than once. I'm like, that's not <laughs> that's not okay. That's the no.
0: premise of the Of the notebook as well, isn't it? It's like, I'll hang off this Ferris wheel until you date me.
1: Oh, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's no good.
1: Um, Yeah. So, uh, And this is like we've sort of never really heard that much about her childhood before. I mean, it's sort of referenced in Riches Abroad where we find out she had a sister, but it's not really explicitly said what happened between them. It's very much hinted at, and you can infer kind of a relationship there, but we, we don't really find that much out about what she was like and this book gives us a lot more insight into that
0: I really like how can we say who the person is yeah yeah so her and Ridcully have like this history like the Arch Chancellor of Unseen University and I thought it was kind of quaint how they do literal versions of things like in dating like the the chase like they literally do that and then later (laughs) they're like zapping all over the place which is again like an analogy for other things and it's just I think it's quite there's a lot of literal things rather than figurative things and it's also just great seeing
2: Esme when she's young Mm. um because obviously we know her when she's older she's an established witch seeing her kind of like just starting out in her witching career and being that kind of much more prideful I mean she's still prideful but like not really having the same grasp on her powers that she does now. Um, and then obviously later on in the book, you get the um, parallels between her and um, Diamond. Yeah. I, I keep
0: wanting to say Desiderata. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, it's
1: Diamanda. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. What a great name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I like that. <laughs> Lucy the, Tuckley. Yeah. It's that thing where you see her at these two like thin walled moments mm-hmm. as they, they call it. And she's making a choice um, about whether to go deeper into magic, like to choose a power that is prob- she can feel is probably bad or to choose a path she goes on or to choose like a nice life with Ridcully. Like mm. it's the, having to choose between being the best in your field or having like a conventional nice life. Yes. I find that interesting as well.
1: Mm. And it, One of the other things I think it paralleled for me is the difference, between, and uh, again, the difference between being a witch and a wizard. Because we know that if you're a wizard, you're supposed to give up any idea of having a family and, you know, because you don't want to make sorcerers. that's mm-hmm. the whole point behind it, as we've previously discussed. But as a witch, you, you don't have to necessarily, as mm. we know from Nanny Og, but the way that Granny does it, she kind of does. Like, mm. she's like, no, if I do this, this is, this is I'm giving my all. This is all I'm doing. Um, and and Reed Kelly was like, well, I'm I'm willing to give it all up for you, mm. as we find out, he says later in the book. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was an interesting dichotomy is that he's supposed to not have this, but he's, and he's willing to give up what he's got to have it. And she's can have both if she wanted to, but she's like, no, I don't, I'm not going to do it that way. I thought that was interesting difference between the two of them too, as well.
0: Plus like he's risen to the top of his field as well, but it's not about being good at magic. It's about being good at not being murdered by other people who <laughs> want to be our chancellor. <laughs> so like he's good at office politics. It's not mm. the same.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, But then we skip forward to the, well, we shouldn't skip over the fact that not only do we see her, you know, having this flirtation, but also meeting the Queen of the Elves. Mm. And it's a lot, it's very subtle and they don't tell you exactly who it is, but we we know uh, Mm. from later on, it's the Queen of the Elves trying to tempt her to come into the stone circle. A stone circle made out of um, meteor iron, Mm. which is inherently magnetic. Uh, not that they ever know the word magnetism on the disc. Yeah. And I love the explanation for that. It's like they, they sailors have never needed to figure it out because they can use the disc's magical field to um, navigate. They don't need magnetism. So they just call it the love of iron, <laughs> which is such a great name. I kind of I always felt like that should catch on in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's her and she tries to tempt her and she doesn't go in.
2: Yes, yeah. and I think we get a sense of Esme's other big choice in life, um, which is between being kind of like a good witch or someone who is kind of more obsessed with power for power's sake. Mm. And I think that Esme always has that internal struggle because she could be really powerful and she could use her magic for all sorts of, you know, potentially bad or destructive things. Mm. Um, And I think that that's an interesting part of her character is that she's not, You know, she's not a nice witch necessarily. She's right.
0: Yeah. 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 She's got a moral compass that doesn't even need the love of iron. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. But she always knows where she is and where she's going. Yeah. Uh, And then we come back to the present, and the witches are arriving back in Lanka.
0: But he does use the word bitch, which really threw me. I'm not used to that language. Oh, I forgot
1: that. Yeah. The bitch is older.
0: I'm like. Yes, but yeah,
1: and it just seemed a bit out of context. It like, did. I feel like he's he's referencing something like maybe he's referencing the Elton John song "The Bitch Is Back."
0: There's a Elton John song called "The Bitch Is Back."
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, famously covered by um, Tina Turner.
0: See, I've listened to a lot of Elton John, but anyway. Oh, but okay. actually,
1: it's a it's a it's a Christopher Marlowe quote. Hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought of the Elton John song first. <laughs> <laughs> it shows what my you know priorities are, but um. Yeah, um, but it's, uh, well, it's a pretty oblique one. In the original, um, the, it's in the Jew of Malta, so not a text that gets studied very often anymore. Um, and the, the quote goes, that has committed, and then the other character, Bar- Barabbas cuts him off and says, fornication, but that was in another country. And besides, the wench is dead, which is, like, really grim and awful and reminds me of the end of Casino Royale, <laughs> the, the both the... You know the film and the book, which ends with a very similar line. So it's kind of is gross. he saying
0: that it's okay that he fornicated because the woman's now dead? Because like it doesn't undo. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's
1: okay. that's what he's saying. Like, let's not let's not take.
0: <laughs> it's probably not worth. It's going a pretty into. old <laughs>
1: st- story. Separate I don't think- podcast no. I <laughs> Don't think it stands up to our modern standards. No, that's
0: just bad logic. Is, is like, oh, I agree. That with aside, it's just weird logic. I agree with but, you. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, um. Moving past the bitches.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, The witches arrive home and we get these nice little vignettes of each of them arriving home and what they do when they get there uh, and kind of what they have to deal with. Um, Who do we want to talk about first?
0: Maybe Nanny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah. it's It's very domestic and like the kids come and greet her and... Um, she little...
0: terrorizes her daughters-in-law. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> she's so mean. She's the she? cause of housework in other people. I love that. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> and there's that there's that dichotomy where you know her own daughters are like wonderful, although she still makes them wait on her, mm. and her, her sons are like princes to her, and then her daughters-in-law are like you are nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> so harsh, <laughs> so mean. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. I but I look. I I'm a sucker. I think I. I'm just nailing my colours to the mask. I've always been a real Nanny Og fan. She's probably my favourite of the three witches if you have to choose one. Mm. I mean, you don't really want to. Uh, but, yeah, anything involving her hanging out with her family, <laughs> I'm a big fan of. You
0: sound like Granny. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I like Granny. I forgot what she does when she gets home immediately, though, because it's all sort of come into a big blur for me. Well, it's very lonely. Like, it's mm. very
1: solitary, which is how she spends her home life. She just sort of comes home and cleans the and cobwebs all, out. Yeah,
2: all of the animals have kind of invaded her house and she kind of gently ushers them out. Um, but, yeah, it is very lonely. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's Esme. That's mm. her life.
1: Yeah, because she lives in the the witch's cottage that's sort of furthest from the main... Uh, or the main population center, and I and we covered this in um, uh, Weird Sisters, but yeah, so uh, Nanny Og's house is right, right in the middle of Lanka, the town, the you know capital. It's not a city; <laughs> it's got a castle, like uh, the
0: center of Lanka.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which really obviously suits her style of witchcraft. Um, whereas Granny's cottage is like out in the woods somewhere, and Margaret's one's kind of near another township, but not in it. So yeah, at least you get that impression. Um oh, and when... so
0: it's like a metaphor for her state of mind. Oh
1: because oh. <laughs> she, she has a bit of an upsetting well, not it's an because upsetting. She's like but... a witch
0: and a doctor. Yeah. So she mm. yeah, anyway. A witch doctor? Yes, and so and the previous yeah. and the previous tenants of the house are the same. Like so that's why they're in two states.
1: Yes, a research witch. Mm. Uh but she I mean her return home is maybe the most impactful on the story because She very quickly, I mean, she goes to see Verence, who there was almost no mention of in the previous book. You know, they have this relationship. They're clearly getting together in that mostly kind of satisfying, but we expect it to develop a bit more kind of way. And then that relationship is entirely ignored for Mm. the intervening book. And now she's come back after what I think they say is, is it six or nine months that they've been away? Seven, I think. Seven. Yeah, it's a long time. And then they return and there's going to be a wedding and that's it. Like there's no...
0: He just knew somehow. Yeah. And I- there's this great section where he's like having this conversation with himself. Yes, this very one-sided <laughs> conversation where it's just said, you know, said Verence, said Verans, said
2: Verans. <laughs> Verans and Magrat is clearly just not saying a word. And it's just so
0: beautifully laid out. Like, it's just, yeah, so um, good. And he's like getting into science and stuff. He's, trying, he's reading the books. He's learning about etiquette. He's mm-hmm. learning how a king should act rather than a fool. And he also has a lot of ideas about how Magrat should act as well. So basically it's agreed they're getting married. That's that. Yeah. I think his problem is that he
2: is too reliant on books because he doesn't know what he's doing as a King. And so he's just like, I will follow the instructions to the letter when actually he should just be himself.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cause he'd be very good. Just like following his mind. Mm. Yeah. Cause uh, a lot of people write books. They could, what if they, I want to know what would happen to variance. If he read two books that had conflicting information, like yeah, what true. would he do? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Implode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, he would probably weigh them up and decide which one he thought sounded better, but then still try and tell someone who already knew what they were doing, what to do. And I I feel like this is like a weird sort of shift in his character. Mm-hmm. Like I, I never felt like he was, he felt he knew better than other people before, but now he's just sort of, I think he's just trying to be helpful when really Lankers just expects their king to stand, sit there and occasionally burn them down or something. <laughs> yeah. And now he's like, no, if I'm going to be king, I'm going to make things better. Because have a like,
0: parliament. We don't really... really.
1: Oh, that was great. Yeah, yeah
0: that's a funny Nobody
1: moment. wants to go. Nobody wants to vote on anything. It's like, what's the point of having a king if he doesn't tell you what to do or make decisions for you about the stuff that we don't care about? And now he's sticking his oar into all the stuff where they're like, no, just shut up. Uh, yeah, I thought that was great. Mm. Um, but then, uh, look, once everybody gets home, the thing that really tips them off that something's wrong... Is the crop circles, mm. and I liked the idea of crop circles showing up in things that weren't crops, Yeah. <laughs> like hair, <Yeah. laughs> like yes. Red Kelly's head, and um, it was a, it, somebody's um, uh, uh, porridge. Yeah, mm. uh, and, and Pusey's, Pusey's
2: watercress. Yeah, growing on oh, a flannel. So cute. <laughs> and I'm like, is that
1: is that what people do before they had the idea of toothpicks and the glass and and the little potato, and you get it to sprout? And uh.
0: See, I never did any of that stuff, so I don't know what was normal for a child because there's a lot of like pusey does this i'm like is that normal child behavior or and he apparently has that deep voice that children sometimes have i'm like is that a thing because all i could imagine because like i'm trying to like flick through my rolodex of children that i've heard the voices (laughs) of and all i could do was keep looping back to that video of a cat with a really deep meow yeah (laughs) (laughs) my point of reference is normally cats as
2: well uh
1: i like that that's good um yeah this tips them off that it's circle time and i like that they have a a name for it and, mm. and we kind of as we get established throughout the book you know there's this long history of which is handing down the information about the danger of elves coming from their world to ours uh, and that they call it circle time is the time when the two worlds are close together mm-hmm. that's what causes the crop circles and I was like that's a cool that's what a good reason to have crop circles uh, but I, I mean I'm also a sucker for anything involving elves or the Fae or mm. uh, or, or extra dimensions so mm. and, and when they get mashed together I gotta admit, it's one of my favourite things in fiction. <laughs> we <laughs> mash those science fiction ideas of other dimensional beings and you know ancient ideas about what elves are or fairies or the fae or the Tuatha De Danann, and, and I, it, yeah, I love it so much. And this this book scratches that It's so bad. Oh, I love
0: it, <laughs> and um, I love that it's just Wiltshire, like it's just, which is where he lived. It's just lots of things in Wiltshire, are, like in the book. So like there's the there's Stonehenge, obviously, yeah. and then there's like the burial mounds near Stonehenge. There's a the aviary rock, which is, like, more impressive than Stonehenge, and they go for, like, a lot longer. And it's just, yeah, it's a lot of supernatural sort of vibes there. And I just like that it's worked into the book because it's not made up from his brain. Yeah. Like, oh, it's it could tethered to the real world. Uh,
1: yeah, so they figure out that the it's circle time, uh, and up at the dancers, these, these magnetic stones that are meant to keep the elves out. Now, I don't think they ever quite come out and say exactly why the dance is so important. In that spot, because it because it the circles appear all over the place, but at the I inferred at least maybe it is in there explicitly that that's just the very weakest point. That's the easiest place for yeah, them to cross over. They
2: do make reference to it much later in the book. Mm. I can't remember at what point, but someone says that's where um, the barrier, or the veil, is like the thinnest, and yeah. so they've put the the stones there to warn people. It's
1: like a fence. Yeah, someone says someone says it's like a fence, which I thought was a, a really nice. Um, analogy. Hmm. Yeah. A magnetic fence. It's like a, it's like a force field. Hmm. Yeah. And then, well, actually before they figure out what's going on, this is where the big dust up happens between two of the witches, mm-hmm. which sets the tone for how they relate to each other for the rest of the book. Because Granny's really mean to Magrat.
0: It's nothing new. It's well. It got, I think she got well.
1: I, you know what? When I was reading it, and I, until I got to the end, I sort of felt like it. It didn't feel quite justified to me because they have this argument during Witches Abroad, right? Where Granny says you're you're just a silly young, a silly young girl, uh, and you don't understand what's going on here. Um, you not You're not a proper witch. You're too soppy. Um, she's just really mean to her about all that stuff. But then they kind of. I, it feels like they kind of sort that out. In which is abroad, and even though they have their difference of opinion, they at least are getting along. Mm. And then the first time something important comes up, once they're back, um, she brings it up again. Wasn't
0: well, that and because, even worse? Isn't it because Granny's trying to like shove her into the into the palace? Like eventually, like she's trying to like push the baby bird out of the nest in a way. Like she deliberately oh, yeah. is mean mm. to force Magrat to stand on her own two feet and go marry Verent, which is not really. Well, I
1: think by the end of the book, like it becomes quite clear she's being super manipulative because Mm. she wants Margaret to be in that position and fulfill a certain role and to wear the iron armor and be sort of influenced by the history of being the queen and also to get out of the way, but that she needs her in a particular place at a particular time. And, And it doesn't feel like at the start of the book that she's doing that with that you know, sort of end point in mind. It feels like she's just like, you're an idiot, get out of the way.
0: Isn't that how a manipulator would make you <laughs> feel? <laughs> or oh, maybe. Subtle. Mm.
1: But also it's a bit weird too because during the first part of the book she doesn't understand why she's feeling all weird and a bit forgetful and mm. and um not, and, you know, unfocused, um, which is very unlike her. Mm. You know? uh, and it's quite dist- – I found it quite distressing. I mean, look, this also comes from a personal family history where I've great-grandmother and now my grandmother as well both diagnosed with Alzheimer's and they they are forgetful and they you know they do get unfocused and find it difficult to do everyday things and of course you know Pratchett later on in his own life Mm. would have that happen to him so I wonder if he ever looked back on this and was like oh this was a bit prescient um but it is distressing when she's like that but because she's like that at the start of the book I I found it very difficult to believe she was doing this for such an arch and deliberate reason it just felt Mm. really mean I lose a lot of sympathy for granny because she's just she's just a bit too mean sometimes (laughs) and i don't like it when she's mean to Magrat.
2: i feel like it just pushed her buttons in a really specific way like the one thing that granny weatherwax insists on is kind of like the chain of command Mm. like she is first among equals yeah (laughs) Uh, and she wants everyone to know it but because Magrat is now being elevated from a commoner to a queen and it goes back to that you can't have two queens in a hive mm. and so it almost puts Magrat and, and Esme on the same level in a slightly different way because Granny is, you know, the head witch, Magrat's about to become queen. And so when Magrat comes to her and is like, well, I'm about to be queen, she's like, nah, like if you have to pick. You can't be a witch and a queen even though she totally could be. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I think she kind of sort of ends up being a bit mm. like that, although not for very long. But, I mean, that's that's a discussion for another book. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so she, she sort of gives up witching. And I found, I don't know, how did you find that sequence? Because I found it really distressing. I felt really sad and bad for her.
0: Yeah, and I felt like it was unnecessary to hurl her stuff into the water, but mm. um, I, I know that it's like a symbolic thing but mm. especially with witches' houses being something that gets passed over to the next witch and things, I thought that was strange, but it was mostly her personal stuff. So
1: Yeah, it was kind of all – it was interesting because it was all the things that she'd brought into uh, that cottage. Mm. So it was all her crystals and weird charms and sacrificial knife and all – well, basically all of the sort of stuff that you associate with modern kind of Wiccan witchcraft mm. – um, Rightly or wrongly, like I don't know how accurate it is, but that sort of new agey idea of witchcraft that's not really wicker at all uh, that's that's what she was throwing away and yet all of the important stuff that was already in the house like all the books of the research and stuff they're still there
0: she thought about throwing them away mm. but she should have put it all in a basket because then it could have been a wicker basket yeah <laughs> <laughs> i uh
1: I, whilst whilst that was very good while um while reading this section, though, actually, I did think of the current, uh, you know, worldwide obsession with uh, Marie Kondo. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, is, is Margaret deciding on which eight books she should keep? <laughs>
0: well, that um, definitely didn't spark joy in her. You no. Know. no yeah.
1: Nothing, very little sparks joy in her in this book, or mm-hmm. indeed anybody. The only one who gets any joy out of the three of them is Nanny Og, really. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but that's usually the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, the other thing about this section is Granny insisting that Margaret wouldn't understand
2: yeah, they um, do seem to kind of look down on her. Yeah. Like she's the young silly one.
0: And there's the theme of like the older generation not making way for the younger one that runs through, because even Nanny later points out that Granny was once the sort of the young one. She's mm-hmm. not comparing her to Margaret though, she's comparing her to like, you know, goth witch. Mm. Diamando. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's it's weird that None of them have apprentices at this stage mm. and yet they're all quite old. And Granny's of an age where she feels it's quite reasonable like she believes these premonitions she has of her death. She's like, Yeah, I could die soon. I mean, obviously it's not because of old age mm. that she's expecting to die, but it's by I, a
0: unicorn. It's by a unicorn <laughs>
1: or, or by a Queen Elf. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, when do you so like if it takes that long to learn to be a witch, why aren't they training anyone up? And I and I know that and this is a gap in my knowledge because um and I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but most i 've read nearly all of the discworld books the The main ones i haven 't read are any of the Tiffany Aching ones because when they first came out and I realized they were for younger readers i was like oh, I'll i 'll get around to those eventually and then I just never did and now i 've kind of like committed to well i 'll read them for the first time for the podcast it 'll be great but uh and I think this gets addressed like how they choose new witches and all that kind of stuff in those books mm. but I still like from my reading at this point i 'm still like why don 't you have an apprentice yet like Magra is younger than you, but you didn't apprentice her. Somebody else did, and now she's taken over from that witch. She is the witch.
0: Well, there was the earlier thing about they not, like in another book, about there not being enough witches yeah. as well. So, like, mm. it's probably unpopular, and also maybe there's just less magic in the. I'm not sure what it is, but there's less witches for some reason because they said that they're having trouble covering all yeah. of the, the town.
1: Surely another reason to train up more. I yeah. mean, they, they never give maybe, a good reason why they can't have more.
0: But how does it work? Because, like, they. It seems like the young girl will, like, present herself to one and be like, please apprentice me, and then they say yes or no. So maybe no one's approached them mm. until that time when they just reject them. But that seems like it's part of the whole sort of culture of it, like reject them a few times and they come back stronger, which yeah is not Well, again, awesome. I think this is
1: something we'll, we'll cover when we get to those Tiffany books, because mm. uh, I think that has this whole thing where there's, like, a witch chooser who's, mm. like, a witch finder, but not to find witches and burn them, but to find new girls <laughs> yeah. to train up to be witches. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll discover that.
2: Mm. Granny does claim later on in the book that she learnt everything from her What's mentor, mentor yeah. uh, in a week. I don't know if she's just kind of like saying that because she's Granny Weatherwax. She's being a jerk about yeah, it. Yeah, but she does claim that, um, you know, she was never chosen, that she just camped out until – that witch agreed to kind of teach her. Mm. But then she says that she learned everything in a week. <laughs> so maybe you can become a witch really quickly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I did like that when she's, you know, when she's kind of arguing with Diamanda and she cites her lineage of witchcraft mm. all the way back to Black, Black Alice. Alice. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, that was badass. It was great. <laughs> Not the place. Like, I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say we should very quickly mention um, Binky getting shooed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was going to c- come
1: back Shod. to that. But it is a great scene that establishes the power that the Lanka blacksmith has. Yes. It's actually a very fake concept, that idea of this sort of you, you get something but you have to give something. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's that's really how all the stories work in Celtic mythology. Like there's always a geos and a ban. Like, the thing you, you can do or must. Uh, but then in return there's a thing that you must do or must not do. Mm, and, as a sacrifice. Yeah. And Jason's thing is he can shoe anything but his, the price is he has to shoe anything he's brought. Um, which I thought was that's so good.
0: Yeah. So that comes back later. We've just mentioned it now. It does. Yeah. We can we can move on. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um. So Granny and Nanny go off to investigate the dancers and try and figure out in different ways what's going on. And again, I love all the times in this book we see a very different way that they do their witchcraft. Mm. Because Granny goes home and goes into the minds of animals to scout out the place, and then he just goes to Jason and <laughs> says, "What's going on, son?" Uh, and hassles him into telling her. Uh and and my favorite part of that is when they finally get back together and um they have the conversation and Granny sort of says I think I know what's going on but I'm not sure and then he just goes it's these girls dancing around the dances." <laughs> and um Granny finds out how she knew she does she looks suitably ashamed yeah. <laughs> she's like oh I'm too I'm getting too much of this magic business I'm forgetting what it's like to be a real witch and I really love that
0: and it's also like a, a sad lonely bit she's like I wouldn't have thought about asking people and I'm like oh. mm. Mm.
1: yeah yeah, she's gotten too obsessed with the with the borrowing business, mm. which is interesting because it, in the previous two books she's so focused on hedology and and how you win by not using magic. I mean, that's the whole climax to Witches Abroad, is she mm. beats the other witch from Genua by not using magic, yeah, and using her own magic against her. Um, and now in this book, yeah, she's using loads of magic. By contrast, so you. I gotta wonder if something happened on their trip. <laughs> home. It did say at the end of witches abroad, it was just a nice time, but maybe some, maybe it was hardcore.
0: Maybe it's because she's no thinks she's dying, so she's like, "I'm just gonna amp this up." And she, I think,
2: yeah, again, she just has this capacity to
0: use magic mm.
2: in a very powerful way. Normally, she chooses not to, but I think because of everything that's happening and circle time and the you know the layer between worlds thinning i think that she she's reaching for magic whereas in normal situations she wouldn't mm. yeah that's how i read it anyway
0: mm. so she's using it for elfish reasons
2: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that is accurate mm. yeah yeah although she would never say that because they don't like
0: saying the word elves do they yes no. it's like voldemort yeah it's one of those or things of them. or it voldemort. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: But yeah, I I thought that was, again, there's so much of traditional folklore and and that kind of Celtic mythology that Pratchett has drawn on for this and then still made it into his own thing um, that I really enjoyed. But yeah, they find out these young witches are the cause for the increased circle time activity and the danger of the elves crossing over. And so it's time to confront them.
0: So they're just bursting on them while they're doing, like, the craft thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. They're just straight up from the craft. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was And you great. see it all from Agnes's point of view, or Perdita, and she's just, like, this teenage girl basically wishing she was the popular girl who's, like, running this thing. But she's the only one that has natural magic ability mm. as well, which is noted.
1: Um, it's worth mentioning, too, that this book came out a few years before the craft. <gasps> oh. So maybe the influence goes the other way.
0: Interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, also, um, Cabin in the Woods has a stabby unicorn, and that was like much later, so.
1: I do like a good frightening unicorn. Yeah. 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 We'll come back to that, I think, when we have the, when the unicorn shows up. Although it's actually quite soon that the unicorn yeah. shows up, isn't it?
0: Possibly right now the unicorn is bursting out of a thing and killing a guy. Oh, yeah. And it kills the poacher. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he doesn't say what it is, but
1: they have that, I like they have that kind of little clue. It's like, oh, something stabbed him right through, gone through the front all the way out the back. <laughs> he's dead and he's been trampled. And you're like, what could cause that? And I actually didn't remember when I was reading it what it was and so when it turned out to be a unicorn, i was like this is great
0: <laughs> see i'm just the cabin in the woods unicorn has been in my head for a long time so i'm like oh it's a unicorn yeah <laughs> has to be a unicorn I mean, and when you
1: think about it like it is a giant horse with a big horn on the front of it yeah and um and horses are i mean i like horses don't get me wrong but when a horse is angry
0: they're very a, scary they're big beast. yes and they're always muscly. a lot bigger than you think they are yeah even shetland ponies you're like that if that got angry <laughs> it'd be very cute but it could hurt you. I mean, they're much bigger than a person. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. And if they had a big pointy thing on their head. Oh. Terrifying.
0: Is Binky a unicorn without a horn? Is that like, was that a thing? No. Okay.
1: No, he's just a regular, lovely white horse. Okay.
0: Because I, I, in my back of my mind, I was like, was that a thing? Is he? No.
1: no. Okay. No. Um, although it does remind me of one of the films that I saw when I was a kid, and I remember it particularly because I was, it was the one time I was hospitalized when I was young. Um, like I caught some infection from a river that I was swimming in. I had to be in hospital for a while. And um, I think someone brought me the video and I watched this movie, The Last Unicorn. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty intense actually for a kid's animated film, but I remember it being great. Uh, but, yeah, it's obviously all about this unicorn and sort of the end of magic in the world. And there's like a feckless wizard in it who wears a red <laughs> robe. And I'm like, hmm, well, maybe this was setting the seeds for my love of <laughs> Rincewind, wind. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, – it was great, uh, but yeah. So they they find the evidence of the poacher who's dead.
0: Yeah, and um, meanwhile back at the thing, the the young witches and Granny sort of have a showdown and decide mm. to have like a high noon sort of a witch battle. off, witch yeah. Off, yeah.
2: yeah, Uh
1: And and he's she sort of lets Diamanda decide what the stakes are going to be, mm. and she decides it's going to be a staring contest, <laughs> but um, not with each other, no.
2: I
0: oh, it makes me so unhappy. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: No, it's I'm... just so unsafe. Oh, yeah. Like, they should all be blind. Uh, yeah.
0: Blinded by the light.
1: Yeah. Oh, what's 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 happening? We're just going to do Elton John? Yeah. Okay. You started this. Okay, okay. All right. Fair, fair. Yep.
0: Does it make you sad? I mean, that's why they call it the blues. <laughs> You're not going to do any more because I'm still standing.
1: <laughs> Look... Uh I got
0: nothing. I'm trying to think of it like because there's the dancers,
2: the tiny dancers. Oh. There has to be a joke there somewhere.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, look. I think you need to apologise, Liz, for all these puns. But I understand if you don't, because sorry is the hardest word.
0: Oh, don't go breaking my heart. Oh uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: we can't do any more. We can't do any more. we got to move on. It's <laughs> yeah. the book. Uh, no, it's a
0: real sacrifice, but we'll stop.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I am not feeling the love tonight, so uh, <laughs>
0: we will move on to what's
1: actually happening in the square.
0: I uh, mean, the circle of life. This, uh, no,
1: no, I didn't. <laughs> I meant the witch off in the square in
0: Lancur. Yeah. But there is a circle in there actually, because they, oh, yeah, they draw a witch's circle.
1: Yeah. I love that where, uh, Nanny's talking to, um, Agnes. Yeah. Agnes, yeah, it's hard because to, to, they've all got two names. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, I used to hang out with a lot of. I, I I can't claim that I was a goth. but I used to hang out with a lot of goths. I was a evening. goth. Um, <laughs> and I and I enjoyed, it. You know, I enjoyed the I did a lot of goth things. Like I played Vampire the Masquerade, and I went to goth clubs and listened to Nine Inch Nails and The Cure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I never knew anyone who used names that were as really on the nose as this. Like they are really like the worst kind of, I'm I'm not really, I just want to be cool kind of <laughs> kind of goths. Uh, I'd
0: rather be called Prodita than bestiality. <laughs>
1: <though>. <laughs> that is a fair comment.
2: I think that's my favourite um, footnote in this yeah. book, the one about bestiality Carter. So very good. funny. My favourite
1: thing about it is he doesn't use the footnote until the second or third time he yep. uses yes. his name.
0: I was like, oh, this is just going to be a thing. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just going to... Keep yeah. creep on by. Yeah,
1: oh. I mean, I remember, I remember the story. I th- anyway, but, but yes, the staring contest with the sun. Ugh. What a stupid idea! But also, kind of hardcore. Like, I got to give Diamond props. She's she's arrogant, but she follows it up. Mm. You know, she's got the she's got the right level of uh, I'm gonna kick your assitude, um, if that's a term. It is now, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's not. It's not. I mean, it's been going on for a while.
0: And Magrat makes her way down from the palace because everyone's sort of left Mm. to see what the excitement is and she wants to involve herself, but they know that Granny wouldn't like that.
2: No. And yet Nanny finds a way Mm. (laughs) in the nanniest way possible Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of diffuse the situation. What beats a son? A grandson. (laughs) 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 That makes
1: perfect sense. Yeah. I really liked her explanation that she w- she didn't cheat because mm. this is what, first of all, this is what witchcraft is all about, but also none of, neither of them knew it was going to happen. They both just reacted mm. and, and everyone's like, well, yeah, like that's the right thing to do. And then when Granny gives a speech and tells Diamander off. And the townsfolk are all like, yeah, that's what a real witch is like. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting because one of the things I was thinking as I was reading this book is that nobody really likes Granny Weatherwax. Like they're afraid of her and they appreciate her, but they don't celebrate her or like her because she's mean to everyone. Like, She really rules through fear and helps through cajoling. People like Nanny Og. I mean, they are still afraid of her, but they also like Nanny Og. And lots of people like Magrat, but they're not very afraid they don't of respect
2: her so there's this
1: sort of weird continuum and nanny og's right in the middle where she's got sort of like both things happening um so it was it's just a rare moment where everyone's like
0: yeah, yeah the but rights. they hate millennials more <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm. yeah 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 that's true um and yeah so she's disgraced uh she loses the contest and um she has to run off but where's she gonna run to there's only one place she can run to. It's the place where she's got her power from mm. because they've already worked out that she's not just a talented witch. She's getting power from the elves. She's been contacting them through the circle and that's borrowed power that comes with a price, which she soon has to pay because she ends up getting sucked across the the void or across the circle into the world of the elves after a confrontation up there with Granny.
0: Because she runs into the, like, quite willingly. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, and it's a nice parallel to that scene at the start mm. where they're tempting Granny and Granny's like, I don't think so. Uh, but Diamond is like, yeah. And you and I mean, it's also there's, she's got that rivalry going on where it's like, would she have done that if Granny wasn't there? Mm. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, she's got something to prove now and nothing to lose really. Because they're saying that her power had been fading as well. Like, mm. so she can't really do anything. She has no choice, she thinks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Granny gives her that great choice though, where she says, like, you know, you've been to a nice school, you you've got an education, Mm. you can read. Like, there's lots of things you could do. You can leave here. You can go and marry well, or get a job, or or whatever it is. You don't have to do this. And then she's like, No, I'm going to do it anyway. And so you don't, you don't. I don't think you ever really feel that sorry for Diamond because you feel like she's made bad
2: choices. She's just like she's seduced by the promise of power. Yeah, and And she's lazy about it too.
1: Yeah, and she doesn't learn from her mistake. Like, she's given an opportunity. Like, she's told, like, what you've done is wrong. Uh, And you've got the choice to not do it again. And she's like, no, I'm going to do it. I mean, she almost immediately realizes her mistake. So you do feel a bit sorry for her because once she gets into the elf world, she realizes that this is not what she thought it was. Mm
0: -hmm. I did not feel sorry for her. I'm like, you forced Granny into the circle. Like, you just know you deserve what you get.
1: Yeah. It's cold. uh, Yeah. Uh, well, and speaking of cold, I, I liked the glimpse we get of the elf worlds. Like it's all in snow. I mean, they never really explain why it's it's snowing there. Um, but, you know, it's in sharp contrast to the springtime or midsummer, mid-summer. of uh, Lanka at the time. So I think the idea is it's just that to show that they are not in sync in a lot mm. of ways. Um and i like i just really like the description of the elves as well yeah it's really cool mm. yeah like they they just they are real i mean you only it's only really late in the book that you get a description of what their actual faces physical faces actually looks like which is very sort of weird angular trucks like yeah mm. um but then they just look like they're just glamorous all powerful and you just see whatever you need to see
2: mm. there's almost like an echo of like um narnia mm. in the elf world because it's like there it's always winter, but never Christmas when the White Queen is ruling, and that's kind of like what Elfland is. It's like always winter, but it's like not the winter with the promise of spring. It's just winter.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess I guess the Elf Queen is kind of like the White Queen too, mm.
2: except mm. she's red.
1: Mm. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, until later in the book <laughs> when she's silver. She could be whatever she wants, I guess. Mm.
0: But- are they supposed to represent something? Like, are they supposed to represent like hearts, desires, or celebrity, or like? Because it felt like every so often there was something that was like alluding to a thing in our world that they are like, but maybe it's like a mass of things together. Yeah,
1: I think there's a few things. I mean, I think primarily they draw from the actual myths of of the Tuatha De Danann, the the she, you know, your ancient Celtic idea of what the fae is like, which is very different to you know modern Tolkien idea of elves or your modern sort of idea of fairies. Like they were, they were basically. I mean, they're kind of like gods. You know, and they they settled Capricious in the land. gods. Yeah. But
0: at risk of being like that scientist or those scientists who are like everything revolves around us and the earth because we're the most important thing. I'm like, yes, but how do the myths relate to us as people? Like what are they <laughs> yeah. trying to say about us as a thing? Like they might not be saying anything, but storytelling usually does have that moral or lesson sort of embedded within it. And I'm just wondering what they, the lesson here is. Like there might not be one, but it seems oh. to me like there's something.
1: There's definitely an element of you know style over substance, like because the glamour is all about appearing to be beautiful, and appearing to be powerful, and uh, and I, like there's a great line later in the book where elves' strength comes from convincing other people that they are powerless. So you could also say it's it's about fascism or tyranny in a way, mm. in that you know you you gain power over other people by convincing them they have none, uh, whereas that doesn't make those people inherently better or more powerful than you, and mm. the dangers of believing that you are. Um, or that someone else is more powerful than you. I, I guess that's a that's a part of it too.
0: And he has also got that really sort of good comment, like failed comment about Hitler, about and about getting like going through time to get rid of one thing. It's mm. not just one person; it's the 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 iceberg that you can't see. Mm. So yeah,
1: yeah. So I think there's that. I, I I like your idea about celebrity too. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of that being dazzled by someone's perceived beauty or importance. Mm where they don't have any except because we ascribe it to them.
0: Like small gods. Yeah. 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 yeah it's kind of like
2: the flip side of that, mm. I guess.
1: Yeah. And I like the distinction they make in this book between elves and gods mm. in that they, they're pretty sure the elves do exist anyway, but they come here if you believe in them being here. Mm. Like your belief doesn't create them, but it summons them, In, in a, which sort of, yeah, distinguishes them from the way the gods work. Yeah. And it also, you know, kind of interestingly, the – they're shaped by your belief, but only on a sort of superficial level. Whereas, like a god becomes the thing that you believe, and like Om, very much shaped by the belief of his followers. Whereas the elves, their appearance is shaped by your belief, but on, but they choose what kind of belief they want to embody, uh, and how they use it, and they're still and they're just awful.
2: Yeah, yeah. one thing that um, this book reminded me of was a book called Outside Over There by Morris Sandak. So Morris Sandak obviously did. Where the Wild Things Are and Mickey in the Night Kitchen. This was his, like, least popular children's book because it's fucking terrifying. Basically, it's the story of this little girl who has, like, a baby brother – and she's not watching the brother one day, and goblins come and steal the brother and replace it with this baby made of ice. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and then she has to go and rescue her baby brother from like Elfland, basically. And so that idea of changelings and the elves or or goblins being th- these kind of malevolent creatures that might come and steal a child and replace it, and that goes back to like Celtic mythology and and all sorts of mythologies as well, where children would be kind of taken away and replaced with these scary changelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but he. It, like Terry Pratchett actually refers to Elfland as like over there, which is, yeah, what reminded me of that book.
0: It sounds terrifying.
2: Yeah, it was super terrifying.
1: Yeah, a lot of times the um, Celtic idea of Tiananog, Nog, like the other world where the she live, is like, and I'm probably mixing up my Celtic stories a bit, so for any Celtic scholars out there, I apologise. It's been a while. But, um, you know, they, that is often translated into English in various ways, including like other world mm. or the other place. Because um, they, you know, they didn't have a concept of dimensions when the stories were being invented. Yeah, but it's it's great. I love the way that that comes across. But yeah, so they end up in Elf World, and it is not a fun place to be, because quickly they are getting shot at with arrows. I mean, there's a little bit of a face off between the Queen and and Esme first, but then yeah, there's arrows flying, and they're running back towards the stones, um, and then. You know, Granny's carrying Diamanda because she's been shot in the shoulder with elf shot, which is poisonous in some way. I just, yeah, it's just it's really cool action sequence. and You don't often get that.
0: And then, like an elf is reaching for them and they all tumble out and then someone rescues them.
1: Yeah. By hitting the elf with an iron on a string. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah! Uh, yeah,
1: I love that. And I love that they that sort of presaged by Nanny Naniog just sort of having a bit of a feeling and getting mm. up and then... Going getting her iron mm. and like tying a string to it and going out for a walk. And then they just, we just forget about that for a while. And then she turns up and smashes the up in the face. So good. Yeah.
0: And there's this, this nice thing where like, and he's like, oh, it's nice of you to like carry her and all that. She's like, yeah, but she'd already been hit by arrows and like, she covers <laughs> she me a, a shield. bit.
2: And then he's like, what? And then he's like, that's heartless even for you. Yeah. It's
0: like, oh, well, it's
1: just a bonus. Well, like practical suggestion: of, yeah, well, she was already hit by an arrow, so a few more is not going to stop her. And if I get hit by an arrow, then we're both stuck there. You're like, it's very pragmatic. Yeah. But also, yeah, evil. <laughs> a bit harsh. I mean, but um,
0: otherwise she has to leave her there or drag her. So like.
1: Yeah. And, and this is also, this is the part of the book where Granny sort of grudgingly has to admit, and she's not grudging about it. She's just very matter of fact. But you kind of. It seems harsh. Um, it follows on from that kind of pragmatic approach, which is just like, well, we need a doctor. Margaret's the best doctor of all of us. Like, she does actual doctoring. <laughs> Whereas, mm. you know, we, we do various kinds of folk remedies and weird cures and just telling people to get better. Um, <laughs> and so they take Diamanda and the elf up to the castle. But again, they hide the truth from Margaret. They don't tell her about the elf. Um, they do tell the king. It
0: who- really threw me that it was breakfast time.
1: Yeah, because I've been up there all yeah. night, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it felt weird because we just had the scene where they're having dinner, and then we had the scene with having breakfast, and then there's another then there's another dinner. Like mm. there's, there's like three dinners in that weird long, like sort of, you know, always reminds me of the Michael Keaton Batman film where there's the big long table and they're sitting one end <laughs> and the other. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And then they relocate into the kitchen, but they don't do that here. Um, yeah, it's it's. It was a lot of dinners.
0: Yeah. And then they explain it to Baron, as you were saying, um, mm. but not to Magrat, who is occupied fixing up the girl anyway, um, giving her penicillin, kind of putting moldy mm, bread moldy in bread. her wound. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And then they give some instructions to Sean Og as well to make sure that she's like, not left alone.
1: There's a big, there's a long conversation that happens off screen, so to speak, mm. at some point, where Nanny Og just downloads all of her elf knowledge into Sean because. In the latter half of the book, when he's talking to Magrat and the other survivors of the elf attack, he is just saying, oh, my mam said this, my mam said that, and he knows everything about elves. And I'm like, it's fairly clear that this is witch knowledge that nobody else believes. But like, he's
0: a sponge. Like, he hears everything. It's like when the wizards come into town and Rid sort of saying, oh, and they're a fine body of women. Um, later on, Nanny's like, one of them said I had a fine body and I'm trying to remember who that is. So it seems like Sean, even when he's doing other <laughs> stuff, is just remembering everything. <laughs> Mm. And relaying it to his mam So I think maybe he just picks up Things when you don't think he Mm. would Maybe he's smarter than any of us Mm. realise I mean, who's his dad? We we don't know (laughs) Good question
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be Mr. Ogg, but we don't know Uh, It's pretty clear that Nanny's Sons don't all have the same dad.
0: Well, they have that whole, that really nice thing where they're like, oh, well, he died 30 years ago. Aren't you 20? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do things differently in the country. Yeah,
1: shush. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. Can
0: we just do a quick rocketing pass, like the wizard storyline? Like, we won't need oh, to even. Yeah. Mm. Because
1: but- this is about the point in the book where they show up in like, mm. Yeah. So, so Rid Cully and the senior wizards have been invited to the royal wedding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's kind of said as a bit of a formality. But because Rid Cully spent time there when he was young um he's he's very, very keen. keen yeah uh because this is where we rem- we realize he is the young man mm. who was pursuing Esme Wilwrax and uh he ends up going and it, there's that nice conversation at the table we see the wizards all and most of them don't want to go but he does force a couple of them to go with him
0: oh uh, Bertha, that was so sad like it got me in a weird place because he's been having like his anxiety cuz being around red color, is really stressful mm. he's got his what dried frog pills yeah and He calls Bursa over and he's like, oh, would you like some time in the country? And he sort of lights up thinking, oh, I'm going to get away from all of this. He's like, good, you'll come with me. (laughs) Uh, I always feel really sorry for Bursa.
2: He's probably the character I I feel most badly for. I just think he's very hard done by.
0: Does he become foul Ron because he later (laughs) says Millennium (laughs) Shrimp? But I did notice that.
1: And I think it's the first instance of Millennium Handed Shrimp in the Discworld books.
0: But does he sort of get like... I don't know, packaged out and a new bursa comes in because we don't find out his name ever. No. Um, I think think we might find out his name in one of the later books. But is it always the same bursa? Just like is it always the same patrician Uh, until veterinary?
1: Yeah. I think it is supposed to be. I think Well, I think the bursa in possibly the first couple of books is a different bursa because we've established that there's a bit of a time Mm. distance between the two. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I, I think it's always the same bursa from this point. Onwards, mm. but he just he just sort of has spiraled down. And look, I I do find reading this now that it is, he is he is a tragic figure and he is very funny, but also it's a very caricature not very nuanced depiction mm, of like, like mental, mental illness yeah,
2: yeah. I, that occurred to me too yeah
1: and, and the I mean, way
0: that the pills are doled out and yeah 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 and also he, he really needs to be looked after properly
1: <laughs> and we almost from i mean from this book onwards we basically never see him in a state where he can actually do his job
0: what academia is not looking after his mental health <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> what a shock oh wow <laughs> oh wow um, but on a happier note, the librarian gets um, invited as well with the promise of books, which don't really come through, but it's no. nice mm-hmm. to have him there.
1: I lures him up there. Um, and Ponder Stibbons uh, accidentally gets himself nominated <laughs> to go as well. And it's nice to see him now part of the faculty um, after first meeting him in moving pictures and then he's, you know, hanging around in... Reaper Man a little bit as well Hmm. yeah so it's it's uh it's it feels like the gang is there we've got the essential I mean, we leave half of them behind because the wizards are obviously a fairly minor part of this storyline but yeah
0: it's like when they do a episode of a show in a foreign country like when they did Castle in England they just they didn't take everyone it would have been too expensive (laughs) yeah
2: yeah just the essentials yeah oh and on the way we also meet Casananda for the first time yes because uh, well, he tries second, well in this,
0: time, book, term, like, yeah. but in the
1: first, yeah, in this book, yeah, yeah,
0: and his business card, which is great. Mm. Oh, there's all my
1: favorite bits of the book. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I like how they don't they they have various jokes about it, but they they leave a couple of them for later, which I thought was great. Yeah, uh, but yes, yeah, he turns up as a as a highwayman. Um, I was really expecting like a low-wayman joke because uh, Terry loves doing his jokes about it, height with the dwarves.
0: And it's like trickle-down economics except like the bad version not the because he's been robbed so he's trying to rob other people like to get back his stuff and it's just like, yeah. And he's backwards. not official
1: because yeah. there's that whole thing where the coach trip is really expensive because it includes the cost of <laughs> <Yeah. dwarves>. Four-fifths <laughs> of it is that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the wizards are having a none of it. Um, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of things about the wizards in this book that are a little bit weird, uh, in some ways, like in terms of how can, how their magic and wizardly magic more so than the other kinds of magic in the books really is at the whim of the, um, narrative (laughs) because sometimes the wizards can do as many spells as they like. Sometimes they can't do very many at all. Because Um, it's
0: like based off of Shakespeare, they had to make a bunch of dick jokes. So that's kind of what that was.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and the wizard staff, etc. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: and the foreign version of the hedgehog. Song. But anyway, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but they get they get there. Oh, I did find it interesting that along the way, when they get uh, like held up by the actual high Women, after they've sort of decided to take Casananda with them, um, Riddley fairly, you know, without a great deal of effort, turns one of them into a pumpkin. Mm. Whereas in the witches abroad, it was a big deal that turning things into pumpkins was really hard because it wasn't another kind of animal and you couldn't, like, convince someone's brain that that's the shape they should be. And it was only the power of the very rare magic wand that could do it easily. Whereas now he's just sort of like, you're a pumpkin now. And I'm like, I thought that was a weird choice for Terry to make. I was like, you could have turned him into pretty much anything else and it wouldn't have been as directly in contradiction to a previous <laughs> book that you've written. But it was fun anyway.
0: At least it mentally changed that scene into, like, the house Moving Castle animated thing for me, because it's, like, the pumpkin-headed... Scarecrow, that's also the, the spoilers or something. Mm. But yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, now you're just making me think of Return to Oz. Which
0: I still haven't watched. It sounds terrifying. Oh, it's
1: so good, though.
0: Mm. Well, I've got it my friend's terrifying. DVD that I borrowed like six years ago, so I should probably watch that.
1: You should, and then you should give it back, Liz.
0: He's busy. <laughs> he hasn't got time to watch it.
1: Neither do you, apparently. Yeah, it's true. So you should just return it. Well, I
0: also have um, a box set of Rocky DVDs that I borrowed from a friend 11 years ago, but... um. W- for one of my birthdays, he's like, you can just have it. I bought a new one. I was like, oh. Uh, but yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> wizards making their way to Lanker. Yeah. Oh, and there. they made the troll bridge. Yeah, the troll <laughs> yeah. bridge.
1: Poor old troll. <laughs> it's like uh, kicked into the river. That's a bit unfair
0: Yeah he's just trying to do His customs duty Like I would definitely watch Like a Border security Troll bridge (laughs) Yeah Like the things that you Because they get accused Of dwarf smuggling Oh yeah But he's like I'm a giant But I'm ill (laughs) It's <laughs> such a good joke.
1: <laughs> I thought also because they're carrying the post as well and we know that Verence is waiting for his, like, special book <laughs> because he's ordered a book for what to do on the wedding night because he orders a book for everything. And he asks him, yeah, you have you got any erotic business? And I was like, I was sure there was going to be something where they said no and then like he searches through the, But, no, they didn't do that.
0: We'll probably not get to it. So can we just mention, like, when the book arrives? Like, what happens? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's very good <laughs> Yeah, because Verence is trying to get... There before Sean Ogg, who does, like, all of the jobs, yeah. but he doesn't, and Sean opens it. And then there's this this, this great scene where, like, it's like the classic joke but he's describing things from it that sound, is that? And he's doing it with his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know they
2: could do it with sticks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. And it's that classic pun, which I think Toad Pratchett has used in several books of it being uh, the martial arts instead the of the marital arts. arts. Which is a classic. It's a classic it's joke, It's so really.
0: cute because, like, Sean's kind of, like, a bit like their excited son in this as well. He's like, oh, you ordered this from me? That's so nice. And he's like, yes, it's for, for you. Because <laughs> he, he reads bows and ammo as well, so he's really into it. Yeah. I
1: want really to point out, too, like, it's, it's, it's seriously, like, halfway through the book that the wizards arrive. Yeah. Um, and... it's like this, it's a very, it's a long Discworld book. Like it's nearly 400 pages Mm. uh, in my edition anyway. And um, it it never felt slow, but I was, as I was reading it, I was like, wow, a lot of things have happened, but um, on some ways not a lot of things have happened. Mm. So it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know.
2: When you think about the story after the book, it's like actually so simple. It's like the lead up to the wedding Mm. and then the wedding, like that's, kind of all that happens Mm, mm. um so it's it's quite amazing that it is such a long book considering that the actual plot is very short Mm. but there's so much backstory i think this is a book that Mm. has a lot of exposition which in the hands of a lesser writer you'd just be like oh my god i'm so bored like Mm. you're just telling me things but because it's terry pratchett like it's all very funny and fascinating and i think adds to the mythology of the disc world in general
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of setup for how evil the elves are. And actually when we get, we'll get to them arriving shortly, but when they do, I feel like there's a lot of talk about how awful they are and you don't get to see it that much. There's only a few little things that you see. And and I think, you know, I think in this book it's quite effective, but there were a few points where, you know, they're stabbing elves and killing them left, right and center. And I'm like, but I haven't even seen one do its thing yet.
0: It was like the aftermath. Like you see a lot of the aftermath and there's, There's also that implied thing where they see the the rabbits, like the baby rabbits or something, and they sort of converge on them and you don't hear what they do, Mm. but like it's just... mm.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the violence that the elves perpetrate happens off screen, so to speak. Mm. Like, you know, there's that line about them killing the fish in the ornamental Mm. pond and Mm. all of that kind of business, and you see the kind of like trail of destruction
0: they've left through Lanka dread rather than like jump scares. Mm. Yeah. They don't seem to kill anyone.
1: Like they never hear that any of the citizens are dead. Mm. Um, And certainly none of the named characters are killed. And I was kind of waiting for that to happen. I thought, well, surely they're going to kill someone to show how, so we know how awful they are. But I think he actually does a really good job of, of really communicating to us how um, evil these creatures are and how different to us their outlook is. But I still, I still felt it was that weird case where I felt like actually the book was fine. It was very satisfying, but it, at the same time, on some level, I felt like I was missing something out, um, mm. which is really weird. But I, yeah, but you're right. There's a lot of implied stuff that they do, which really communicates that. The other thing that's happening at this point is that the uh, Lanka Morris men, headed by <laughs> Jason Org, have been given the task <laughs> of performing the entertainment for the wedding, um, <laughs> and make a few, uh, well, very bad decisions about what they're going to do because they they're all very embarrassed by this, so they don't want to. Rehearse where anyone will see them, so they try going out to the woods. But there's that great line about how you can't like it's just thick with like weird beggars and like old washerwomen <laughs> and like strange frogs that can tell what you're doing or something. Like and and so they end up deciding they're going to rehearse up by the dancers, even though Jason's not convinced this is a good idea. Mm. And they fall asleep there after getting a bit drunk. And you just know, you just know, mm-hmm. this is it. This is going to be awful. And the play that they're performing, there's so many jokes about A Midsummer Night's Dream, about the fact that, you know, they're trying to play the rude mechanicals. They don't really know what they are. And they're like, oh, we, we, we're supposed to be bad at playing, at acting, but then we are bad at acting. And <laughs> we do. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hilarious.
2: It's some of the funniest stuff in the book, I think, the conversation that occurs between all of these Morris men. It's just so funny. Like... They're meant to be artisans. And they're like, what's an artisan? I think it's a kind of well.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's just hilarious. And then they inadvertently keep saying the gentry and the lords and ladies. And because they're standing right next to the dancers, it it calls the elves. Mm.
1: Because, well, the playwright has written this and we know that he's basically channeling Shakespearean ideas onto the disc world. But he's written this play that's kind it's not, It doesn't have elves in it, but it is the play that in Shakespeare does have fairies in it. And it's just, yeah, I found that it's all a bit weird, but I Mm. liked it very much the way that it kind of meshed together.
0: It worked well. (laughs) (laughs) Sure did. Uh, Uh, If I do uh, say so, my elf. uh,
3: Mm.
1: uh, (laughs) A groan's as good as a laugh, um, as they say. I'll
0: get that on business cards.
1: (laughs) Because uh, they fall asleep, they don't summon the elves immediately. Um, that's going to happen a bit later. They've
0: decided to do the play outside because that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, but Margaret, meanwhile, in the castle, has discovered a few things and got very unhappy mm. because she's she's sort of trying on. I mean, she's been wandering around the castle, having a terrible time realizing how boring it is to be queen, and
0: she has to wear brocade. That stuff does not breathe. Oh. Mm.
1: I like that they're sort of talking about, like, the IKEA instructions of how to put together the, the <laughs> insert, bustle.
0: slot A into tab B. Oh. <laughs> oh, what, what did they do with all the crap tapestries they would have made? Because like, not everyone would have been wonderful at looming and things, so there would have been a lot of gentry who made... <laughs> Really bad tapestry stuff. Like, what do you do with it? Do you, like, give it to the servants? Do you... Are they Christmas gifts? Do they get hung up proudly? Are they still around? Can I go to a museum of crap tapestries?
1: I feel like most of the tapestries made by actual royalty would have been crap. Like, all the ones they hang on the walls were made by actual Mm. expert tapestry. Weavers. But the crap
0: ones are the ones I want to see.
1: (laughs) I wonder if there's an exhibition of them somewhere.
0: I really hope there is. <laughs> oh. And If
1: there isn't, there should be. Well, I think there will be in Lancaster like, Castle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the crapestries. There'll be a crappestry room somewhere in Lancaster Castle because as it they is very say, large. and they never throw anything away. Yeah,
0: but imagine so, if it's like your family heirloom as well. Like you've led to send this hideous, like like that terrible, like touched up Jesus picture oh, that, yes. that that lady did, oh, but like yeah. a family precious, and they'd probably be really valuable as well. You, so you know what
1: this is like. These things are the the Lancastrian uh, equivalent of memes. Right? They just get hung up in people's houses. And they, maybe they write things on the bottom to illustrate points. Who or like knows? your
0: loom has a typo in its Latin. Like it's just. <laughs> yeah.
1: But she does meet some of the other staff in the castle, mm. which I really enjoyed. There's Hodges. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> um, it's weird. Like, there's Sean who does like 90 Every. jobs. Mm. And then there's the cook who just does the cooking. There's Hodges who just looks after the, you know. Hawks. The hawks. And then there's
0: uh, the beekeeper. Yeah, oh, and he's so sinister, but no, good. He's not sinister. He's he's awesome. Sinister is probably not the right word. He's just scary. In a yeah, he's kind of formidable. Formidable—that's the right word. Yeah, yeah, and he's sort of because he,
2: he works with bees,
1: and it gives him that sort of aura of authority. Yeah, which means he can talk to the royalty kind of on his own level. It's like because I deal with royalty all the time. You're just another queen to me, yeah. <laughs> like, you know.
0: And I really enjoy like who has bees and this so, like death has bees, Granny has bees, and this guy has bees, and they're all very important to yeah. the story. Sherlock Holmes has bees too. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah, bees are bees are great.
0: But like, if you get bees, does that like make you like a fancy literature person or death?
1: Look, um, I hope so. Mm. Well, it makes you a beekeeper uh well <laughs> assuming assuming that you you know successfully keep the bees which is the hard part mm. um yeah yeah um but yeah he's a great character but yeah she's just, just sort of a bit bored and annoyed and gets more bored and annoyed and has this sort of well he's, oh, and there's also you know she has a handmaiden uh Millie mm. who she's known all her whole life <laughs> but now sort of curtsies and calls her mom and um, and she gets very, there's those moments where Margaret gets quite queenie and mm. says things like, you stupid girl and stuff. And then looks at herself and says, I just called her a stupid girl. That's not okay. Um, where the sort of import and weight of the job is already starting to change the way that she behaves. Um, and she spends almost no time
0: with Verence. It's because he's off doing husbandry things. Yeah. Uh,
1: but not wifey things. <laughs>
0: but she has a really great conversation with the beekeeper where he explains like two queens can't exist inside a hive. And he also has that really great line about like wasps trying to like bees will protect the front, but once they're through and into the hive, then bees don't know what to do. Like they mm. will just basically let them overtake. And he has that thing. The line goes, if you're for bees, you're against wasps. So that's paraphrased. But I thought that was very interesting. Very feel, good.
1: Well, that certainly sums up my philosophy. I really hate wasps. <laughs> I just really like, I don't believe in, in cruelty to animals, but I once trapped a wasp in a glass jar and I just left it there and watched it die.
0: That is, some um, what, Vorbis I, level, yeah, <laughs> no, not even
1: a little bit. I just bit. hate wasps so much. They're so I guess you're four bees? Evil. Yeah. I'm very four bees. Mm. Bees are great. I'm heavily allergic to them, so I could never keep them, which is a shame, but yeah. Well, I got really dark. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: That's okay, but I was waiting because like they have that scene later when the elves are around and he sprays them with his wasp concoction. Yeah, That's like a, I was waiting for him to like later come out like a, like a Ghostbuster with all this wasp stuff. But that was his moment. He's like he doesn't care about anything except for his bees. Yeah, so. he's like
1: stop fucking with my bees. You're out of here. I'm killing you right now. Yeah, yeah, I liked that moment.
0: That was very good.
1: Uh, but Margaret's sort of disillusionment and annoyance sort of mounts through these sort of several passages that we follow her around the castle until. At one point, she goes into Verence's room and finds a few things in there. Like, she realizes that he doesn't sleep in his bed. He's still sleeping by the door like he used to do when he was a fool in Which Weird Sisters.
2: Which, for me, is just one of the most, like, lovely points in this book. And I think it's just, like, where you get that real sense of pathos and genuine kind of heart that it just kind of drops in between all of, like, the funny stuff where suddenly you get this moment where you're like, oh, he sleeps at the door to the kingdom.
0: Yeah, Maybe he... I've got a bit of Magrat in me because I'm very seduced by that.
1: Oh, no, because no, it was wonderful. The, the only yeah. thing
0: that's changed for him is which side of the door he sleeps mm. on. And, that was... and
1: who his master is. Mm. Verence is so absent in this book. Mm. Like, he, he has a few lines of dialogue, but he doesn't really impact the plot in any way. He almost may as well not be there in some ways, and yet his influence is still felt so heavily in terms of how Margaret feels about him, both when she feels kind of a bit soppy and and great about him in that moment, but then also when she finds the letter, which they talk about all the time. I didn't really understand why he made it such a mystery what was in the letter because it was very clear from context immediately what was in the letter.
0: See, my mind went to a darker place. I was like, oh the letter is saying that he was going to marry just anyone in that time frame if she happened to come back. Oh. As in, like, he was like, I will have a queen by this date. Hopefully it's Megra, but if not... And I thought it was going to be, like, Millie or something. But oh, right. I know that that's not how his book's run, but I was like, oh, that's, like, a plot point. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: No, I mean, I always... Because she asks, like, Nanny if she knew about the letter. Mm. She never talks to Granny about the letter directly. But... Um, that was
0: my initial thing. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, I
1: didn't go there. I just always thought, oh, someone's told him, yeah, she's coming back make the arrangements to get married and basically telling him that it's going to happen.
0: Because he's been so into the books. He's like, Oh, I have to have a queen. I have to do this. So I set a timeline on because he seems like an organized guy as well. Mm. So I feel like he loves Magrette, but I thought maybe there was going to be like a darker thing where he was going to make arrangements if she wasn't back by a certain time.
1: It's just so aromantic as well. And mm. particularly, it just felt a little bit anticlimactic for their relationship because I was quite invested in it in weird sisters. Cause it starts off kind of, awkward and weird and it keeps going awkward and weird and then it gets to here and he's just like i'm a king now it's just gonna happen and you're like where did Verence go like what happened to him
0: that's like the thing like you put on a mantle or a costume and you become someone else and you have to lose yourself along the way so like wasn't that kind of what granny didn't do because like if she'd accepted the power from the stones it wouldn't have been her anymore should have been wearing like an elf costume, basically.
1: You think that's what's happened to Varen since he's put on the crown?
0: And not in like a bad or evil way. It's just like sometimes if you have to occupy a certain position, it will take from you in ways that you might not have predicted.
2: Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that is a smart way of looking at it. Um, yeah, and I think he is quite absent and I think that that is why Magrat kind of goes down this path because she is such a romantic and you know she wants the proposal in the rose garden and all of that kind of thing and and she doesn't get it but at the same time granny maybe actually has her best interests at heart in writing that letter because she's like Ferenst and Magrat they're just gonna like tiptoe around each other Mm. forever and never get anything done so she's like i'm stepping in to make this happen she's actually doing it for them Mm. but of course margaret feels like her kind of agency has been taken away yeah Mm. which it has which it has yeah (laughs) Yeah,
1: it has she decides she's not going to go through the wedding when she reads this letter she's like you knew i was coming back you didn't you didn't just sort of arrange things because that's what you wanted you got told at least that's where i sort of read her anger coming from um, but also that it had all been arranged behind her back, without her being consulted about what she wanted or how she felt about it, and that 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 is a horrible feeling. And it's while she's sort of holding herself up in her room, refusing to come out, that it all goes down. And I but I thought it was a bit weird that they're having the entertainment, and they decide to move the entertainment up to the dancers because I thought it was supposed to be part of the wedding sort of ceremony, but actually it's just sort of part of the general festivities because mm. they're having a fair in the town square with, like, apple bobbing and all that kind of jazz, and they do the performance up there near the dancers. That's what's brought the elves into Lanka. But they turn up, they kidnap pretty much. Well, like did they kidnap them? What happens to the townsfolk? It's a little bit obscure. I, yeah. I got the impression they rounded some of them up and were keeping them somewhere, but also some of them escaped and then went and hid in their homes
0: they grabbed the key players like Varence because the queen wants to marry him mm. to like solidify her position as queen in that world. And I, as a side point, I thought it was, there was parallels to moving pictures in the the audience is looking at the screen and it summons the thing and they're all in a thrall. But um, yeah, so some of them clearly escaped and went away, but I think some of them get put under a thrall. Yeah, but- well
1: like is definitely because she's been influenced by the elf shot, she's basically their puppet. Mm. Uh, and also because Margaret found out that they – had put like iron around her, and that they'd insisted, and she's like, and that is the one time where she fulfills the prophecy or, or what Granny and Nanny thought she'd be like when it came to elves. She's like, that's just a stupid old wives' tale, and like moves them around, and, and that was away so the iron. derp.
0: It's like in every episode of Charmed, when one of them's like, I've been having dreams that I'm a bat murdering things. They're like, oh, it's just you, silly. I'm like, you are witches. Literally every week something happens. Listen to each other, and like, why wouldn't you just leave the iron there? It harms no one. Mm, yeah, yeah,
2: that does feel like you can see the
0: mechanics of the plot being mm.
2: manipulated, like because I don't think that Margaret would act like that. She knows enough about Granny and Nanny to know that if they do something, they've got a really good reason mm. to do it. And even if she is kind of mad at them, I don't think she would put anyone in danger
0: yeah, just yeah. because
2: she was mad.
1: And I also didn't understand how they thought she wouldn't know about elves. Like she's been trained by a witch and they talk about how this is such an important part of witch law that has been passed down for like a thousand years she would know. She's not going to be like, no, elves are really, they're just fine. Like, she's not a young girl. She's not Diamanda. You know, Mm. she's not an apprentice witch. She's been witching Solo for like, 10 years or something, she's been a witch.
0: And also, why would you want to hold on to that so closely? Like someone was to me like elves are real and I somehow accepted that and then like also they're bad. I'm like, okay, cool. I accept that. I don't understand why you cling to the notion of them being nice. Yeah. And you know what? I think when I was saying before that it felt to me like there was something missing, one of
1: the things that's missing is there's nobody in this book who really does believe that except Diamanda. Nobody like they talk about how no one understands elves. They all think they're good, and Jason Og has that one moment where he says something. Oh, that'll be nice. And Nanny Og's like, No, it won't be nice. But once they show up, nobody is fooled for a second. They all are horrified and terrified the whole time. And I'm like, Where? Where was that moment? Where was the? I mean, why aren't they? Why don't they just walk into the palace and sit on the throne, and then everybody's standing around them going, Yay! Like that would have been creepy and weird, and match what we'd been told to expect. And what we actually get is. No, everyone in Lenka knows this is bad news and they're all frightened. And that's terrifying in its own way, but it just seems such a weird mismatch with what we've been told about elves and how they worked and how people thought about them. Yeah,
2: to be fair, they do kind of um, start acting like the elves are kind of like their overlords, like they put the bowl of cream out for them Mm. and and they hide in their houses. Mm, That's true. And that kind of thing. But you're right, it's not like they're... struck by the glamour they're like oh we're terrified and we're gonna like try and placate them by doing all of these things um but yeah there's never any sense that they're really seduced by them in the way that Mm. Diamond is
1: and they do i mean you know margaret is struck by the glamour in that kind of final confrontation that she has with the elf queen
0: in her literal face off yeah um yeah
1: yeah (laughs) um and you know when when that sort of thing does happen but I think it's more for me. It was that the way the witches talk about it is like this is secret witch law that we have to remember because no one else does, and yet no one has this idea that the elves are nice and wonderful.
0: Hmm. But yeah, once the elves are there and like wreaking havoc and everything, Sean comes in to help Magrat because he's had a confrontation with um, I keep forgetting her name, Diamanda. Diamanda, who's it's because it's such a ridiculous name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If I had to come up with a witch name for myself now, unfortunately I've watched so much Charmed that it would have to start with a P, which I think limits things quite a lot. Maybe Penelope? Prunella? I think Prunella would be a good one, because I do have a sneaking suspicion that Sybil Faulty, played by Prunella Scales, was a witch. Um, but she can't get to him because of his chainmail, so he like figures it out and runs off, and Magra takes some convincing, which is annoying, then yeah, there's a whole thing where she gets chased by things she then sees a portrait of this
1: Queen Insi.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, and Just made me think of Insi Wincy
1: Spider. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, she gets inspired. she's like, oh, Queens can be like this. Like it's basically a Boadicea type character, like from Woad sort of thing. And then she finds herself in the armory and she finds the armor of Insi. And so all the elves are outside having captured Jason. She's inside with all the iron and then they have a confrontation.
1: Yeah because she summons that she feels like she's channeling this warrior queen of Lanka's past and so she's like shooting elves like through the eyeball with like a crossbow and like cutting their legs off and killing them with swords and battle axes and she's really like she does a lot of damage to these elves um and there's that great bit where she tricks one into falling down the privy in the garderobe oh. <laughs> uh, I like the footnote where he like Explains what a garde is, and then the footnote just says, This is really true. Yeah, where you <laughs> like, store
0: furs and things, and they're, Oh, yeah, yeah, yuck.
1: Um, so, yeah, she's and she's basically like John McClain in this book, yeah, for a while. Like,
3: no yeah, one, yeah, she
0: heads off to reclaim her inheritance and meets up with the librarian, Ponder Stevens and a very like benzoed out Burser. yeah. Just quick mention that Granny and Ridcully have been off reliving the past and have this whole thing. And,
1: and not at Granny's bidding. He mm. just sort of grabs her and then, like, casts a spell and they're outside of Lanker and then he's, like, used up his magic for the day and he can't do it again. Yeah, like, away. when they're
0: younger, like, they could do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, uh, It's uh, Shakespeare, come on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and Nanny's gone off on a date with Casananda, yeah. they've been reunited and they've gone off to the nice restaurant uh, or inn uh, in town.
0: Where she's drinking wine with port and eating everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it does, I felt weird that they sort of were both sort of shoved out of the plot a little bit, but I, I kind of liked that it gave Margaret her time to shine. But it felt weird to split the two of them up for so long in the book. And there's this, there's a particularly, and you know, I'm a bit biased because she's my favourite. They just felt like a really long time where we just didn't know what was going on with Nanny Og. Because she's gone for this date and then you just don't hear anything for like this whole sequence of the elves have come, they've decimated the town and they're going to torture people and and, and it cuts back to Granny and Ridcully trying to get back to the town while being harassed by elves and chased by the unicorn through the forest. But you don't find out what's going on with that. I was like, when are we going to find out what's going on with that? where is she? And then, you know, she comes out of the ruins of the nice inn.
0: And goes and finds the Elf Queen's husband to come sort her out. Yeah,
1: and like, this is – actually, I want to talk about this because that's the moment that is illustrated on the cover of the book.
2: I wanted to talk about that too because there's a giant snake on the cover, which I don't really remember being in the book. Yeah, we've well, not covered in animals in the book oh. either because there's like also
1: a frog and there's like a rat.
2: Yeah, and I mean there's bees on the cover, which, yes, accurate. Mm. But, yeah, I was just really confused by why we have a really prominent giant
0: serpent when – That's not in the book. There are Adam and Eve elves and these are them and the snake is involved in their marriage and fall. Mm, Um, That's the longest bow so far back that it's snapped.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But look, I mean, I also thought it was a really weird choice for the cover illustration because this is something that happens quite towards the end of mm. the book right page 300 or mm. so which so is lumpy. Sorry. more than three quarters of the way through the book yeah he's very lumpy, very lumpy. <laughs> it seems appropriate for him in some way
0: they're all lumpy though um, for the Snake,
1: but he's also such a minor character in the book yeah like he he has an influence on the plot he i, I gotta say he feels a little bit unnecessary redundant. Mm.
0: Um, like, or you come sort out your misses like yeah and yet,
1: you know, he's he's on the cover, mm. and we don't, so we don't see what all the elves look like. I mean, maybe that's part of the point. Like, we can't really draw the elves.
0: He also lends to a good color scheme, though. Like, he allows for a lot of red. Strong, yeah, strong. Yeah, like that could be a motivator. I don't know how an artist's mind works.
1: There's, there's, yeah, all of the dick jokes that go into that part of the book, <laughs> mm. where oh. they describe the barrow as like there's one long barrow and two round ones. He's <laughs> like, well, that's <laughs> the most blatant dick joke of all.
0: Yeah, and then they talk about it for a while and there's a whole broomstick one when they say it's like a fallacy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I did like that Nanny Og's broomstick hasn't been looted because the elves have been through her house, but because she hides it in the eave of her roof or otherwise the kids steal it to go through writing <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Uh, and she, um, she goes to the forge to grab a, a crowbar because they need it to get into the barrow, but also then goes back in to grab another something, which you don't find out what it is, but later on you discover it's one of the special... Binky hooves. shoes. Yeah, one mm. of um, Binky's horseshoes, which are always made out of the same iron. They just get recycled. But then, it, which made me just wonder, how is there any left?
0: Maybe if you mix it with normal iron, that iron then becomes like, like if, even if there's like a drop, it's like a homeopathic horse. Except you're supposed iron. to keep
1: it separate and not use it for anything else.
0: No, as in like you can't use that one for anyone else, but you can yeah. add other iron into it, maybe. Oh, Because okay. I also had that thing. I'm like, it would run out. It's magical iron, guys. I, I guess so.
1: True. Yeah. And he, and <laughs> but like, he, and what he if it runs out? <laughs> he nicks one to play... Um, Quoits. quotes with, yeah. And he
0: keeps winning.
2: <laughs> yeah. So much that it made him nervous. Jason.
1: Mm-hmm. He's a yeah, naughty lad. Um, but <laughs> he's yeah. such
2: a lad, though. It's great.
0: He's a, he's, a, he's a good... I mean, all the og boys are...
2: Uh, yeah, they're all very likeable.
0: They are. Yeah, I really like them. I always imagine him as sort of like a carrot type. It's like, mm. Mm. Yeah just an affable person like if carrot stayed in the minds like
1: a bit more worldly though yeah like Jason sort of he's I think being a blacksmith he understands a bit more how things work I mean apart from when he has to have things explained to him by his mum. <laughs> but Sean is very like kind of idealistic and and optimistic and a bit more like I mean he's he seems a lot younger than he is like they're all adults but he seems much more like an excited teenager whereas Jason's like the Very stoic, like, let's get things done, eldest child. But anyway, so that's what Nanny's been doing. And Granny's just been trying to get back to town. Uh, and increasingly, you know, getting harassed by these elves that are in the forest. And
0: talking about her alternate realities that she's tapping into, some of which where she's married to Rid Cully, some of which where she's not, some of which where she's died. And this is about the point in the
1: book where she realizes that's what's happening, isn't it? Because Mm. up until this point, she's been, yeah, she's had that sort of lack of focus and forgetting things and feeling like she's getting a bit old. And it's very just, like I said, it's very distressing to see Granny Weatherwax doing these things.
0: She gets confused, like, when they bring the elf and she's like, but what about the children, which suggests, like, her children in an alternate. Mm. But yeah.
1: Yeah, and now she realises that it's because she's tuned her mind to be aware of this other dimensional place where the elves live because that of that weakness between worlds that circle time is causing and also them breaching that gap and coming across. She's also got all these ideas leaking in from the other universes, so, so alternate realities of what she could have been or who she could have been. Yeah, she can hear all their thoughts in a way, like it's not that direct. Mm. Uh, and it's not until someone mentions it, like she has that conversation with Ridcully about how Ponder describes it, that she kind of goes, Oh, that's what it is.
0: The trousers. Because, yeah, the trousers, the trousers
1: of, of time.
2: time. And the parasite universes, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. When um, Ponder is explaining parallel universes and, and Ridcully misunderstands and says, Parasite universes. And Terry, via by, by footnote, tells us that this is actually real. Like mm. these parasite universes exist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it seems very clear that's what the elf universe
0: is. Mm. <laughs> but let's get to the showdown where everyone finds themselves at the Danters. The witches are finally reunited because Granny has been brought there by the elves after getting captured and sending Red Cully off. Mm. Uh, Nanny shows up after helping Jason muster up the remaining villagers from the castle to come form like a hundred-person army. And Margaret finds her way there she, um, because she's trying to rescue Verence. And so there's a showdown that I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. It's fine. But it is there's some good lines between Granny and the Queen.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have a real good hard ass mm, off. Like
2: a very <laughs> psychological battle as well mm. um, where it's very much this idea of you can't have the two queens in the hive mm. and they're kind of battling to find out which is going to be the queen who survives.
0: So the elf queen's been alive for a lot longer, but – Granny points out that she's a lot older in her mind because you can't really progress if there's no end in sight mm. as well which I thought was an interesting parallel to mm. the fact that they they said earlier that night is there but it was a different kind of night the night that doesn't have day at the end of it mm. yeah when when they're having the duel granny and the which the other thing that it made me think of
1: was the wizard duel in the first lord of the rings film because it there's no there's no like fire or lightning bolts and stuff, they just sort of stare at each other intently and then one of them reacts as if they've been hit in the face. And I just thought that's a very granny weatherwax way to do magic. I mean, she does set one of the young witches' hats on fire earlier mm. on because they're like, yeah, you can do that if you want, but you don't have to. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to make you knock it off. It was subtle but also really direct magic from her and it and it comes back to that idea that she uses magic a lot more in this book. Mm. But the showdown doesn't go great um, because, you know, Magrat's kind of got up there. Sean and uh, Nanny have rallied the townsfolk to come as a ragtag sort of army to come and fight them. Magrat's at sort of their lead in the, in the armour with the battle axe and she's sort of just waiting for the right moment and then comes forward and they all meet up and then the glamour kind of starts to take Magrat over at just the wrong moment and she's finding it really hard to, to push through it.
0: Plus the Queen looks like how Magrat wants to look, like she's done that specifically is further torture but then bees so i mean look this is plan b (laughs) B. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's so good i can't think of that that's amazing now how do we feel about this conclusion because like we've said some of the earlier pratchett books we've talked about on the show before um the conclusion feels a bit rushed and sudden and like we haven't quite well not quite earned like it's sort of just sort of it's not quite a deus ex machina but it's sort of comes out of nowhere like a mm. change of heart or a sudden decision or mm. a slight coincidence. Uh and by the time we get up to where we're up to now sort of almost halfway through the Discworld series it do- they don't feel like that for the most part. This one though I felt had a bit of a bit of that in it. Like I felt like a lot of the things had been set up, but I didn't quite feel like they'd been put into I think until they happened I I didn't feel like they fit. And I still feel a little bit like that afterwards because we have early on in the book where granny's borrowing to try and figure out what's happening there's that mention of like yeah you can't no one can do bees no mm. one can do bees and like so there's your you know check bees check-offs bees <laughs> um but then uh but some of the other stuff that sort of comes out at the end like and it's not it's not entirely clear why that's so important except for making the queen think she's won i don't know how do we feel about the end
2: it kind of happens off screen, like um, the long man turns up, the husband, and you don't really get to see what happens. You just get the king held out a hand and said something, only Magrat heard it, something about meeting by moonlight, she said later.
0: So they're tuxedo mask and Sailor Moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I felt it was a bit abrupt, but I also didn't, feel the need to read more of that scene Mm. i feel like i got enough information to walk away satisfied even if it was like a bit rushed yeah
2: yeah yeah i like i was fine with that i think that the way that he's done it kind of implying more than telling is quite nice because he has moved all of those pieces into place. Yeah. And so we kind of just put it together in our heads. We don't have to see it play out.
1: Yeah. I mean, because really what's happening is, you know, Granny's having this showdown with the elf queen who is holding Margaret back so she can't sort of break the spell. And then she forces that battle so hard um, by summoning the bees. And then the queen thinks she's winning because, you know, Granny lets herself look like she's losing And which makes the queen push further because she thinks I can finish her off. And there's that there's that bit where the queen basically does the like to the pain speech from the Princess Bride, where it's like (laughs) I'm just gonna like make you a shattered shell of what you were, but there'll be just enough of you left inside that you know what you were and how much you've lost. And you're like, wow, that's like whoa, that's rough. Um, And then she sort of lets it look like. She's dead, which sort of distracts that queen in that final moment, which lets Magret sort of like kick her in the shins and like get the get the sort of drop on her. But then that's when the elf, well, that's when the long man turns up. And I guess it's sort of all needed to happen at the same time, except that Granny seems to suggest later on that she wishes Nanny hadn't asked the long man to get involved. And you've got to wonder, well, well then what was your plan? Like, were you just going to... Was Margaret supposed to kill the elf queen? Would that have even worked? Can they be killed? I mean, yeah, they, they seemingly can. The
0: beekeeper could definitely just kill her with a spray of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah,
1: yeah. He was so good. Oh, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like I needed a little bit more room to breathe in that in the conclusion there. And it was only after I'd read it and I sort of thought about it that I'm like, okay, I see all the things. And in the sort of post climax come down of the book, that came out much more sexual than I meant to. <laughs> Shakespeare, uh, but. Um, They discuss it a bit. It becomes apparent how much Granny has been setting this up and planning in advance and putting people in the right place to make this happen, using her sort of witchy prescience and the she can sort of see. And again, like you know, if you want to use a modern pop culture reference, it's a bit like Doctor Strange looking at all the different possibilities and then choosing the one that's going to work. Um, But then we still go through the wedding. Um, Margaret gets convinced because you know she confronts the other two about the letter and. Nanny has no knowledge of it or says she doesn't, although it's hard to tell when she's lying, <laughs> as yeah. points out. Granny must have written this letter. Mm. And as you said, she's like, well, what were you going to do when we came back? Mm. Normally you'd describe that as a very paternalistic, domineering behavior. This is sort of a maternalistic, domineering <laughs> behavior. Um, but yeah, which is still a bit harsh. And, I, and she just sort of goes along with it. And I, I mean, maybe it's just that, you know, times have changed now since the book was written. It doesn't quite feel good. Like, they don't have a romantic reunion. I mean, the most romantic thing that happens is Varence reads cassandra's card and asks him to step aside and explain a few things. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the wedding itself is, seems fairly perfunctory and happens off screen. We don't,
0: we're not there for it. It's the classic sort of at the end of an action movie. Oh, we've missed the wedding. Oh, here's a registry office. Or can't the police captain, like, marry us? We'll just wear our terrible clothes. Like, isn't like, it's that, which is, I I liked. Just do it. Just make
1: it happen. Yeah. 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 I guess there is that.
0: And his conversation with the cast. Second, because he's like, oh, yeah, I try harder. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and we also find out, like, Nanny and, and Granny know that there was no such person as Queen Incy, as is suggested mm. in the footnote at the time, uh, which is a very Time Team-esque mm. kind of conversation. And th- they decide they're not going to tell her.
0: Then everything's fine except suddenly a unicorn. Yeah. And then they
1: they shoe it using Granny's old silverware. It seems right that Granny's making that sacrifice. Although, what is it? They just let the unicorn go. It's just going run around being magical not mad i guess i don't know i don't know i know does the unicorn
2: get a happy ending we're not really sure it just runs off into the
1: sunset doesn't it and we don't know what happens to it yeah they say the shoes will last for a while but it'll be free of the queen's influence they
0: should put a cork on the end of its horn just to be safe (laughs) yeah because like accidents do happen it's
1: true oh yeah oh because remember there's that nice bit where um there's a great bit of magic where granny like lets her hair down which is quite exciting, <laughs> and then like pulls out one of the strands of hair and turns it into a lasso, and then, no, it's going to have to do what I say because I'm qualified to tame a unicorn and everyone's a bit coy about saying what that means. <laughs> but they're like, what, really? Oh, okay. And I, I felt a bit sad about that. And I was
2: like, really? <laughs> really?
1: Come on, surely. Mm. No? Oh, okay.
2: But one of the nice things about this book is that all three of the witches kind of get a love story in mm, a way because yeah. Esme has Ridcully, Naniog has Katananda, and Magret has Verence. And so even though they're all quite unconventional love stories, I thought it was really nice that they all get to experience some kind of, like, romance. Hmm. Mm.
1: And they're all very much the protagonist in those love mm. stories. Like, the men are very secondary characters. But, yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of the book. Um, I, I
0: mean... Is there any bits that we've
1: we haven't talked about that people want to cover?
0: Why is there that scene of nanny in the bath? Like what does it Add to the plot? <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. <laughs> like I ordered a, a when she said when it said bunion chisel. <laughs> like I was, oh. yeah, I, I just went, "Oh no." I <laughs>
1: <laughs> just wanted to remind us because she gets to be so motherly and and also go on a date and and um in this book that she is also a gross old lady. Like, yeah. <laughs> like who's only got one tooth left and looks like a sort of apple that's been left out into the sun.
0: Well, they had that when she got into bed and ate a sweetie because like her tooth will not decay because yeah. she's throwing everything at it. But the scene, mm. I was like, Oh, this'll pay off later. This'll this will pay off later.
1: Yeah, I thought maybe she would be able to sing and like destroy the elves' minds because it's so awful or something, but no, it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> but yeah, nice and I liked it, but it just seemed a bit sort of ah, that's happening.
1: Yeah. I, I liked the explanation for why it's iron that elves don't like because they they rely on this sixth sense, which is like a sort of magnetic resonance, like sharks almost, you know, like they, they sense magnetic fields in the world and that's a big part of how they navigate and, and interact with the world. And so um, iron, because it's affected by magnetism, kind of screws that up for them. Mm. Um, and magnetic iron, even worse. I always like those sort of weird pseudoscientific explanations mm. for folklore. I really love that kind of stuff.
0: We, we missed um the Morris dancers Morris dancing their way to the castle. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, combative and Morris dancing. Doing the stick, stick and, bucket and bucket dance. dance. Uh, yeah We're not going to do the stick and bucket <laughs> dance.
1: <laughs> Obviously, we can't show you Morris dancing, but we can give you a taste of what it sounds like. This is a group of Melbourne Morris dancers, though so I can't say if I know any of them. Just imagine an elf's head being crushed with each wooden clock. You get the idea.
0: I also want to know what people keep saying about our Sharon. (laughs) Oh, they were so mean about her. But like, did she do something? We'll never know. Yeah.
1: Were there any quotes that people wanted to read out? Because I've got a few. I really liked when Margaret wakes up in the castle. Margaret woke up and knew she wasn't a witch anymore. The feeling just crept over her as part of the normal stock taking that anybody automatically does in the first seconds of emergence from the pit of dreams. Arms, two. Legs, two. Existential dread, 58%. Randomised guilt, 94%. Witchcraft level, 0.00. <laughs> I was just like, that's great. Because I would really, uh, apart from the witchcraft level, I mean, mine's always zero. Um, I uh, I really identified with that. Yeah, me too. The boot up sequence.
0: There's a lot of really nice lines that I won't read out to read the one that I found hilarious, Mm -hmm. which was when Casananda and Nanny are on their date. And she goes, this is damn good wine, she said, picking up another bottle. What did you say it's called? She peered at the label. Chateau Maison. Chateau. That's foreign for cat's water, you know. That's (laughs) only their (laughs) way. (laughs)
1: I mean, she's not wrong in a sense. No, but it's so good. It's so good. That was very good. Uh, this is the book also that introduces her and the Hunted, who I named as one of my favourite Discworld Gods last episode. And, yeah, he's, he only gets that one scene where he's running through the forest going, ah. No, he munches um, oh, it. Oh, that's right. No, he does pop up later and saves some of the rabbits from the elves or something. Yeah, that's true.
0: So against his nature as well.
1: All the stuff about Mr. Brooks, the royal beekeeper. Yeah. He's just mm. so good.
2: I just want to make mention of the one really just bad, excellent pun. And this was one of the lines that I remembered from the first time I read this book as a child, which is, um, you know, Margaret has just kind of put on the armor and she says, "Gribo, come here. The cat turned and tried to find a place of safety in the suit's breastplate. He was beginning to doubt he'd make it through the night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, yeah, that was so good. <laughs> And he becomes Schrodinger's Grebo, which is so good because like, she puts him in the box marked candles. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's that, yeah. hold this. There's that line <laughs> don't open it.
1: it. <laughs> yeah, he could be in any one of three states, alive, <laughs> yeah, dead, or, or bloody, bloody furious. furious. <laughs> uh, I've got to read the quote that's sort of like the key quote of the book, and I think it's actually on the blurb for some editions, about elves. Elves are wonderful. They provoke wonder. Elves are marvellous. They cause marvels. Elves are fantastic. They create fantasies. Elves are glamorous. They project glamour. Elves are enchanting. They weave enchantment. Elves are terrific. They beget terror. The thing about words is that meanings can twist just like a snake, and if you want to find snakes, look for them behind words that have changed their meaning. No one ever said elves are nice. Elves are bad.
0: Um, you mentioned that you really liked the footnote about the naming, like Bestiality Carter. Yes, it's very so, funny. So yeah, um, it's quite a long one, so I won't read it all. But like it was good because they talked about how they named their girls, like Hope, Chastity, Faith. And then when it got to boys, they weren't quite sure what to do. So they ended up with Anger Carter, followed later by Jealousy Carter, Bestiality Carter, and Covetousness Carter. Life being what it is, Hope turned out to be a depressive, Chastity was enjoying life as a lady of negotiable affection in Ankh-Morpork, Prudence had 13 children, and Charity expected to get a dollar's change out of 75 pence. Whereas the boys had grown into amiable, well-tempered men, and Bestiality Carter was, for example, very kind to animals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would read it like every footnote if I could.
1: It is great. I mean, Terry already knows what he's doing by many books before this, but this is where it's just like story and jokes are like... (sighs) Um, so perhaps we'll move on to some questions from listeners, Liz.
0: So we got them across three different media this time, which is very exciting. So we got them from Twitter. We got them from Instagram. We got them from the Discord. Um, so let's start with Twitter. We got a few from Patrick O'Duffy. This one I love, um, as in I don't love it more than I love all my questions equally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <same>. Yeah, That's nice, <laughs> nice work, nice work, Liz. Convinced. All right. Is this the book where Margaret finally achieves agency or just the book where she gets manipulated by other forces and the author into believing that she has agency?
2: I think that it comes down to the fact that if you believe you have agency, you have it. And it goes back to that whole idea of witchcraft as well, that it's so much about belief or manipulating people into believing what you want them to. So in a way – whether she has been manipulated into having agency is irrelevant because because she believes that she does.
0: Hmm. Well, you've just changed my mind, so I'm not going to answer. <laughs> yes. Because I was like, no, she doesn't. I'm like, no, nope, she does. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah.
1: I mean, because, like, you know, she feels like she's channeling this other queen, but she never is. I mean, not just because she doesn't exist. And, yes, you know, she's referring back to Weird Sisters. We're talking about, you know, the crowns and hats have power. But it's still her doing all that stuff. She does, like, die hard her way through the castle. <laughs> um, and later on she has doubt about that, but she keeps going. The weird thing for me is that she definitely sort of has that self-determination, but I think we still don't quite know who Magret is. For me, that's more the sort of authorial voice, is that we know what she does and, and what plot function she fulfills, but her personality is still not quite clear. Like, she's still figuring out who she is. Mm. And I. And hopefully that becomes a bit clearer in the next one or the one after.
0: And last one from Patrick. Morris dancing. Threat or menace? <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> why not both? <laughs> Look, it's a delightful, harmless pastime, but it is also weird and therefore very easy and creepy to portray as sinister. <laughs> um, There's a great Doctor Who uh, episode. Drink. On- <laughs> it's great to talk to you a great Doctor Who story um, Where the Doctor visits this little town Where this alien being has been summoned Who basically looks like a demon And there's a bunch of Morris men in that Who get corrupted to evil And they, <laughs> and they do very sinister Morris dancing And tie him to a maypole And they're going to kill him and Tie very, him
0: to a maypole? <laughs> yeah, they do it It's very Wicca Man
1: kind of territory It's pretty great
0: uh, Yes, it's very good
1: Anyway, so yeah, I, I I think real Morris dancing is fine, but I do enjoy making it creepy and evil. <laughs> because they were like pied, pied Piper
0: Morris dancing, weren't they? Like, because they were like trying to attract the attention of the elves.
1: I mean, also like killing them with their wooden yeah, sticks and bells. Sticks,
2: so yeah, I'm just bashing them.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's um, is it one of the other books where they mention the other dance <laughs> that they do? <laughs> there's the Morris dance, then there's the other one that they don't talk about, which is not the stick and bucket dance. It's like another one.
2: An even darker one. Yeah.
1: I forget which one that's in. We'll Hopefully we'll revisit that.
0: All right. And here's a question from Sven Uckerman. What is your favorite Lanker landmark? Um, and there's another question. And will you make an episode on the companion tourist guide of the Lanker map? So should we just quickly cover the second part? And then we talk about
1: sure. Uh, Look, I think we'd we'd love to do some bonus episodes for that sort of thing, and um, with your support, hopefully, we'll be able to do that. So, Mm -hmm. thank you very much for those who've been supporting the podcast. But yes, we do have um, vague plans. We're not quite sure how to fit them into the regular schedule because we kind of don't want to extend the podcast (laughs) so that it goes for eight years. Um, But we would like to do some bonus episodes covering things like the maps and the almanacs and that sort of thing. So, yes, hopefully, we will. What was that? What was the first question? Again? Favorite
0: Lanker landmark. <laughs> there's some great ones in <laughs> yeah. this book out there,
1: like the place where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> I think that's my all-time favorite. It's so hard to go past that because it's mentioned in multiple books as well. How it's like there's like a cave, but then there's a thing in on top of the cave, and then the sun can't ever get in there, but you can. <laughs> it, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Um, how about you?
2: Oh God,
0: just spoiled for choice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think i have to say the same as you it's just too funny yeah it's, it's
1: so good
0: it's it the long man because it's just so juvenile oh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It's, it's great big tonker <laughs> yeah it's just it's <laughs> such a blatant like but it's so funny because it's just unashamed of being such a corny joke yeah <laughs> but yeah um and last question from sven is which is your favorite witch so we've kind of covered that a little bit but we talked about it in the
1: weird sisters episode but i think it's worth revisiting Mm. now that we've read a few more books that they're in
0: and i want to know what nadia's favorite witch is Mm. yeah definitely um
2: i have to say granny Weatherwax. i think because i wish i could be like her Mm. because she's like she knows her shit she's very intimidating she is so sure of herself um I feel like I want to be granny, but maybe I have a little bit of Margaret in there as well.
1: <laughs> we all have a bit of <laughs> Margaret in us somewhere, don't we? Yeah. This?
0: yeah. Oh, I also love Granny Weatherwax for similar reasons as above, and I just love how she just gets stuff done and is very self-assured. Hmm. And she's just very funny sometimes, but not on purpose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you never get the... She hardly ever makes an actual joke, and there's a few times where she does crack a joke on purpose. You're like,
3: what just <laughs> happens?
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I still... Nanny Og is still my favourite, but I think one of the things that this book changes for me is that I previously said I I suspected that she's actually more powerful than Granny, but she would never let that on. But in this book, she makes it very clear that that's not the case, and that Granny's like the most powerful witch she's ever known, and she couldn't match her, and she's a little bit afraid of the level of power that Granny Weatherwax has inside her. Um, And I quite like that. I think that's grounding uh, because if Magret is afraid of Granny, well, that's just what Granny wants. If Nanny is afraid of Granny, then I think Granny sort of takes stock of that and is like, Am I okay with this? Like, mm. it's a bit of a limiter on her, which I think is really important.
0: I do think I would have liked Magret's mentor, though. Like, I think she would have oh, been yeah. very interesting to get to know as a character because she sounds cause she's the one who's well traveled and she had a, like, that cottage full of knickknacks and she was very smart. Just, she seems like she would have been a good one.
1: Yeah. Real nerdy witch.
0: Alright, so here are a few from the Discord. One from Melissa. Do we ever find out why Casananda is only the second greatest lover and also who is the greatest? Isn't there a footnote when we first meet him
1: in Witches Abroad that sort of mentions who the greatest lovers might have been on the disc? I mean, I think probably there's no evidence either way. Like he is one of the he is a professional liar. <laughs> mm. But I like his excuse in this book that he says he's the second greatest because He tries harder. I also feel like he's put that on his card because it it feels more real. Yeah. Like, because everyone would complain. And I think, again, I think this is something that's mentioned in one of the books, but anyone can claim to be the world's greatest lover. But if you claim to be the world's second greatest lover, people are like,
0: (laughs) has more weight. Do you know this for a fact?
1: (laughs) Maybe it's real.
0: Is there a ranking system like in tennis?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you don't want to be caught out, you know,
0: love. (laughs) <laughs> I just Love realized all. that the tennis one is called the Seed system. <laughs> <laughs> there
2: we go. It all works. Ooh. I always just thought it was kind of a almost like a Get Smart reference. He's always like, that's the second biggest something I've ever seen. and oh, It's just yeah. this huh. running joke.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm? That's good. I like that too.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Another one from Melissa. I wonder what the dynamic was between the three witches when Goody Wemper may she Rest in Peace was part of the group instead of Magrat. Did they even have coven meetings or did that happen because Magrat suggested it? Well, I think,
1: I mean, in it's in Witches Abroad at the start, they have the, the big sort of witches meeting with all the witches who are still in Lanka, and I think they probably would have had those kind of meetings. Um, I, Yeah, it seems like they probably wouldn't have operated as a traditional three-witch coven with Goody Wimper. She would have been too busy doing experiments. She doesn't <laughs> have time for that shit. <laughs> She's busy.
0: Um, what are she you going to She could have Skyped reckon? in, I guess, or so, through like a <laughs> Chris, crystal <laughs> <That's> ball. <crazy. laughs> I in. I scried in. Yeah, I was drawing you like the crystal.
1: You bet. You can just bet that they have the same kind of connection problems as well. I can see you, but I can't hear you. (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) Um, it's like old people using technology, which is a terrible cliche, but I think we've all had experience with it being true. Definitely. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think? I, I mean, they certainly have a lot of respect for her on paper. Like they pay a lot of verbal respect, but I. I feel like they would just think she's wasting her time because she, neither of them hold much stock in actual scientific style medicine.
0: It would have been granny and nanny and and Goody Wemper, but like Goody Wemper, I don't think would have cared in the same way that Margaret does because she's doing her own thing. Mm. Mm.
1: well, also you get the impression that you know the times that they're together when we visit them together are in times of great witchy crisis, you know elves coming in um the land being taken over by evil king. Uh, you know, evil godmothers and vampires and whatever. And uh, I don't think that happens that often until
0: this point in their lives. <laughs> so it's now like they
1: need a coven.
0: Mm. All right. So here's one from Zoe. So which of the Shakespeare plays Pratchett didn't use would you have liked to see turned into a witch's novel? Or for that matter, could the wizards be nudged into a Shakespeare parody? Which which Shakespeare's would we love to see get the Discord treatment?
2: How about a really dark one like Titus Andronicus? Ooh. That's oh, got yeah. cannibalism in it. It's got lots of cool stuff Love fighting yeah yeah Would you give it to the witches or to the wizards um,
1: feels like maybe neither of them actually
2: yeah it could be a complete like maybe even like the night watch or something I don't know
0: mm. Involve the what's the club of the of the the like the ghouls and the, the who hides behind the door and the oh uh,
1: yeah the, the second chance club yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I reckon look if you're gonna do a wizard one I reckon you'd have to you have to do the tempest and it would be like some rogue wizard who's trying to like summon element because there's not a lot of elemental stuff either in the disc world. I mean, there's Tethys the sea troll, but apart mm. from that, and, and, you know, obviously the trolls kind of represent earth, but there's no kind of air or fire. Are there djins ever? Yeah, there's a genie in sorcery. That's right. But, um, yeah, there's not a lot of that sort of conjuring of elemental stuff. And I can kind of see some rogue, because cause Prospero feels a bit like, you know, ypsilon uh, the red or one of those wizards who's gone a bit mad with power he's a bit like that
0: i don't actually know that much of shakespeare i picked up the odd bit here and there but my school only did romeo and juliet which i absolutely hated and it put me <laughs> off exploring any further than whatever cinema decided
1: to bring out oh wait hang on you know i've just figured it out my favorite shakespeare comedy is much ado about nothing and now i want to see much ado about nothing but instead of beatrice and Benedict... It's Esme Weatherwax <laughs> and Must from Red Kelly <laughs> because they had would have to get tricked into getting together. Yeah, I mean, and I won't spoil anything, but we know because of how the books work out that that doesn't really fit anywhere into the timeline. But now I kind of just want to see that happen, like as some sort of alternate history.
0: And I know that one because Joss Whedon did a version of it. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Filmed the- at his house. He did.
1: Was it was at his house Yeah, oh, that's why that I was in sense. black and white It was very good, I enjoyed it But my it's hard to beat Enjoy the um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true uh, it, it's, it's hard to beat the Kenneth Branagh version It's really hard It's, it's one of my favourite films of all time So good Actually, you know what, one thing we haven't mentioned We didn't mention Granny's Sign This is where it gets introduced
0: Oh, I, mean, I Ain't called, dead. dead I Ain't Dead, yeah <laughs> it's So good
1: Anyway, uh, any other questions, Liz?
0: Final one from Instagram, from Grace Lee 32 There's a part where Granny is explaining the elves to Verence and she describes them as having glamour, saying that if cats look like frogs, we'd realise what nasty, cruel little bastards they are. Isn't that kind of like hedology for elves, which in turn means that the most attractive thing about elves is always what people give Granny such a hard time about?
1: Oh, Because they're doing hedology on everyone else. Mm.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Except they're not doing – it's not
1: so much that they convince you Uh, of things because that's kind of what granny does. She tricks you into doing what is best for you. Whereas the elves magically appear as what is best for them based on what you think. I feel like there's a kind of a key distinction there. Does that, does that make sense?
2: Yeah. It's almost like the elves are an inversion of what she does because they're doing it in complete self
0: interest and Mm. with evil intent.
1: And magically.
2: And magically.
0: Where
1: she is explicitly not using magic.
0: And a lot of places, like a lot of places that cover witchcraft and supernatural themes are always talking about not using magic for personal gain, which I guess is exactly the opposite of what they're doing. But the evil people are always using magic for personal gain as part of like what makes them evil, which is strange.
1: Well, those are some pretty great questions. If if you want to ask us any more on social media or just discuss the book so that we see that you're doing it, you can do that and use the hashtag PraChat seventeen. Because this is our seventeenth episode, seventeen,
0: see, edge of seventeen. It's very appropriate with yeah. like all the Stevie Nicks and the the witchcraft, We're and coming of age. Yeah, <laughs> <appeals>. <laughs> and I just watched Jawbreaker yesterday, so like that makes seventeen even more horrifying. Oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> There's parallels because they're kind of like the elves, like that everyone sort of sees them as an aspirational thing, and yeah, they get power based on how people see them. Yeah, it's true. It's a very it's a very plastics thing as well. Mm-hmm. Tune in on how this is just Jawbreaker with elves. <laughs> yeah.
1: totally um and look uh nadia thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me uh now you've got a couple of books out or one's out and another one's coming out soon is that right
2: no they're both out they're both out already. yeah yeah um so they are stranger things tie-in books uh, unofficial guides um so the first one is called the book of barb it's completely (laughs) (laughs) devoted to barb justice for barb etc um the second one which just came out Late last year, in December, um, is a almanac. Um, so it's more broadly about Stranger Things season one and season two. It's got monster guides and quizzes and personality tests and all sorts of fun stuff. So mm. get onto that.
1: Sounds amazing.
2: It has a Dungeons and Dragons quiz.
1: Oh, okay. Well, now you've got <laughs> me interested. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, look, I mean, you know, if you're waiting, hanging out for season three and four and five. I mean, did they confirm there's going to be lots more Stranger Things? I think they might. Those
0: children they? are going to hit puberty real hard, real soon. Yeah, well, I think just, it's already
1: happened. They're just going to have to jump the story forward a little <laughs> bit, but that's okay. But if you're hanging out waiting for Stranger Things, you do always then find Nadia's books. Who are they published by Nadia? Uh, Smith Street Books. Okay, and where, where can we find them?
2: Um, pretty much in all big bookstores. Support your local indie. Yeah, great. Well, look, this
1: is March now as you're listening to this, uh, or, or, well, unless you're listening to it in the future. So uh, let's specify March 2019 is when this episode is released. You're and using Lanker time. Yeah. <laughs> Cycle oh, time. Wait, that's something I forgot. It's never addressed in this book that Granny Weatherwax has aged like 16 years less than Mustrum Ridcully because they skipped Lanker forward in time during Weird oh. Sisters. Huh. I meant to bring this up. It's never brought up. He never looks at her and goes, wow, you're looking particularly great for your age. <laughs> he must be like 20 years older than her when he wasn't before. But they just don't even notice.
2: He's probably too love struck to even mm. realize he's just like, you're so beautiful. Uh, I guess that's because true. You haven't changed. Yeah.
1: But anyway, I just thought that was weird because no one ever mentions it after that book. And it's such a big thing. And this book goes to pains to mention several other things that happened in previous books. Anyway, I've I've dis, I've disrupted our flow of, <laughs> so, of, of the podcast, but while, it just was so important, I thought, you know, oh.
0: but while we've disrupted the flow, can I just say two things that yes. I that came up for me in the thing? So Lanker rhymes with Wanker and one of their main landmarks is a giant penis, so that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the other thing is they talk about like the broomsticks being a fallacy, like spelled like fallus, like a... like so P-H-A-L-U-S. And I just thought it was interesting, because what do you think Nanny Ogg's favorite TV show would be if she grew up in the 90s? Yonick the Hedgehog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of longbows. Yeah, wow. It's Uh, just because she always sings the Hedgehog song, and I just remember they said fallacy, and I immediately was like, what would be like the... Opposite of that, Yonick. I was like, oh that's funny. I also and then I laughed the- at my own joke for a while and
1: <laughs> Why well, also just like that for you? Sonic the Hedgehog is a TV show.
0: <laughs> is it something else? <laughs> yes. He's a video game character. I was an only child, there's no one to play video games with. Wait. Oh, it's a single player video game. <laughs> also I think football's in winter. Just saying all the things they get happening? wrong all the time. <laughs> what is happening?
1: Also well, oh, hedgehogs I just, don't look like that. If we're gonna confess <laughs> things we believe that weren't true, um we, we do have a recurring little thing that we talk about on this podcast of things that you always believed were true and then suddenly realised were not. I only realized last week, because I saw the trailer for the remake, that the title of the book, Pet Cemetery, <laughs> is not in fact the ridiculously wrong and weird way that Americans spell cemetery. <laughs> oh, it's no. part of the narrative of the book that it's misspelled on the sign for the pet cemetery. <laughs> And I was like, oh, how did I not know this? Because I've never read it or watched the film. I just sort of am aware of it through popular culture. But, yeah, so but there you go. I do have one.
0: There's more shade at American spelling, though. That That's believable. It is, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, what a digression. That was amazing. <laughs> So, this episode comes out on March the 8th, 2019, and later this month, we are both appearing, Liz and myself, at the Speculate Festival here in Melbourne. We'll be on a variety of panels and workshops across both days of the festival. Uh, Liz is participating in one of the intensive workshop days Mm -hmm. on the Friday. I'll also be part of the schools program on the Friday, and we'll both be chairing panels or appearing on panels on the Saturday program. So, that's Friday the 15th and Saturday the 16th of March in Melbourne. If you want to find out more about the festival, you should go to specficvic.com.au. Not only will you find us there, but also several previous guests from Pratt Chat, including Dan Golding and Amy Kaufman will both be there as well. Now, not only will our previous guests be at Speculate But if we look into the future, next month, to tie into the festival, we thought we'd go back in time, seems appropriate for a sci-fi and a fantasy festival, uh, and read one of Pratchett's very early science fiction books. So which one are we going to be reading, Liz?
0: The Dark Side of the Sun.
1: Oh, yes. I'm so looking forward to this. I haven't read this for such a long time. Have you read it before?
0: I haven't read it ever and neither has our guest. So
1: it's going to be an interesting one. Now, our guest is also appearing at Speculate and he is? Author Wilkis Darkis. So that's going to be a great episode. We'll see you next time for that. Two more things we should mention. Uh, We're also going to be at Nellis Anxietus 7, the Australian Discworld Convention, which runs from April the 12th to the 14th in Preston uh, on Melbourne's north side. We'll be there over the weekend, so we won't be there on the Friday, but we will be there over the weekend, popping up on various panels, hosting small discussion groups and doing some other stuff. Uh, First thing on the Saturday in the program, we will be recording our very first ever live episode of Pratt Chat. In order to come along and see that, you do need a membership to the convention. So, Unfortunately you can't just come for the podcast but we will be recording it and we will release it so you will get to hear it if you can't make it along but we'd love to see you and if you are a listener and you're coming to the convention please do come and say hello um, at one of our little gatherings or say hi if you see us on a panel we always love to hear from you if you want to find out more about that convention or get yourself a ticket head to oz that's a u s ozdwcon.org I'm also going to be appearing at the International Comedy Festival in Melbourne next month in April from the 1st to the 7th. And I'm going to mention it now because our podcast comes out exactly one day too late for it to be any use in promoting the show in April. Uh, It's a show called You Chose Poorly. I'm doing with Alanta Colley, a famous science comedian. And we are going to be doing a show about the psychology of decision making. Why do we make all these bad decisions? We're going to explain why, but with jokes. Uh, and also doing a bit of an experiment on the audience. But just a nice, ethical, friendly one. Nothing, you know, no Milgram experiments here. Um, so it's on at Campari House from the 1st to the 7th. You can find out more about it on my website, benmackenzie.com.au. And also at the Comedy Festival, you can catch some of our other guests from previous episodes of Pratchat, including Cal Wilson and... Clara Cupcakes, a.k.a. Ellie Squire, will put some details about their shows on our website, so check that out for more information. Until next time, for the love of iron, do not mention the name of the lords and ladies. You've been listening to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast, with Pratchetters Elizabeth Flux, Ben McKenzie, that's me, and guest Nadia Bailey. Pratchett is produced and edited by me, with music by David Ashton of Sample & Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Pratchat Podcast and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via PratchatPodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat17.
2: Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Star Trek podcast Rediscovery and time travel comedy series Night Terrace. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.